Trash Cinema. Alright, welcome everybody to another great episode of Trash Cinema. This week we're going to be discussing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and Popcorn. I'm your host, Michael, and my special co-host this weekend... This is Mr. Lobo of Cinema Insomnia. Thank you for having me on the show. I've decided to let the guests say their name from now on because I tried to interview an actor who had a very complicated last name, and I screwed it up, screwed it up, screwed it up. And I was like, you know what? I have to walk away from this one. <laughs> All right, so Halloween 3. Uh, that one's a complicated one because I can't say that it's a terrible movie, but it does go in a different direction from what the first two set up. And I think that upset a lot of people. I think it's better than people. I would agree. I, it, it falls in that category of, I think, uh, underrated and overlooked uh, movies. Uh, I, I remember enjoying it on cable as a youngster in the 80s. And I got kind of shamed out of liking it by my friends and peers and colleagues. Because, you know, Michael Myers fans are kind of like people who were like fans of the character Eddie from Iron Maiden, you know, that yeah. kind of person, uh, where it's like they draw them on their binder and it kind of, I, they sort of identify with this sort of uh, serial killer character in their, in their teenage angst. And, uh, you know, the, the, when Halloween 3 came out and it wasn't about Michael Myers, it was just uh, people felt like they were, it was bait and switch, that they, they didn't get what they were looking for. Um, yeah, I would say if, if the second one had immediately switched, you know, set on Halloween, but something different, but then you put one and two together, they both did very well, and they're so interlocked that uh, the three had absolutely nothing to do with it. In fact, at one point, don't they watch Halloween on the TV? So it's as if they were saying, oh, that was all child's play. That was just, you know, I wonder if they felt like that was kind of an insult. I don't know. I mean, I, I thought it was an interesting integration uh, of the two. I, I, I thought actually a very nice nod. There's a lot of very nice nods to Carpenter and, and Halloween in particular, uh, including um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's voice coming over the speakers of the town in yeah. uh, uh, Santa Maria. And, um, you know, I think the only thing that they, they didn't do, which I think would have, I think, uh, would have worked is if they had a Michael Myers mask being made in the shop. Um, if that was one of their little uh, experiments, that, that would be kind of a <laughs> uh, alternate origin, perhaps. That might have connected to more of what they were trying to do at the end of Five, like the whole Druid thing. You know, right. the, the whole Halloween series is very complicated because there's some fits and starts and different directions they want to go into, whereas... And the Jason movies are almost all 100% the same direction. Freddy's kind of the same path. But Halloween kind of just hopscotches all over the place. Makes it a complicated mythos. Well, well, Friday the 13th took a little time finding its feet. You know, it's interesting. People forget that the hockey mask doesn't even happen until halfway through the, the third movie. Yeah. So I think that, you know, they once they found their thing, they kind of stayed with it. Uh, whereas, you know, Halloween... Carpenter had really didn't have any intentions going beyond the, the babysitter murders or the first story. Uh, and he, and, and this is what I heard from Stacy Nelkin is that the intention all along uh, was to do uh, a, an anthology where it would be a different film every year. But the first film was so successful that the studio demanded a, a copycat or a continuation of, of, uh, of Halloween and yeah, this is the only time that they've ever gave gave the opportunity for the franchise to go in a different direction. And 
it is a bit weird. It's kind of a strange movie because it's not, it, it's more, I want to say, uh, a slight sci-fi bent. It feels more like the old British sci-fi or something just kind of underground. I think, you know, something that wouldn't be that's a mainstream that's, movie. That's pretty astute because the guy, I guess, who wrote Quatermass, I forgot that author's name, but uh, British sci-fi author, the, the essential story is from him. Uh, I, I think that, um, and again, going with the, 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 the fans of Halloween just, just did not permit this movie. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the argument I always make, and we presented this film live on many, on, well, on, on one particular occasion, I, I got the opportunity to pre 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 present the film to an audience. And a lot of people, including Stacey Nelkin, the co-star, were planning on sitting it out. And I had to kind of uh, make a case for this movie. And part of that case is that if you look at sci uh, at horror and where it was going, and if you look like at a film, a great another great series like Phantasm, uh, where we we uh, you know if you look at the at, at where horror films were going, this was not really that far. No, of it, was a like, it was just like what one year before Rubber Reality kicked in with Nightmare on Elm Street. So it was it was actually just a cut above. What everybody else was doing is just maybe the general audience wasn't prepared. They weren't. They weren't prepared for it. And and again, I, I the joke that I had made is that you know we don't have enough phantasm movies, and the Halloween fans all reject the third one. So we should just give Halloween three to the phantasm <laughs> franchise and call it Phantasm Six Five Thousand, and then everyone can just uh, stop arguing about it. Um, I, I enjoy fantasy in my uh, horror films. I, I, I mean, I don't like the fact that they're even trying to turn Michael Myers into, uh, you know, uh, a troubled, uh, uh, a, a troubled white trash kid with yeah. a, from a bad, from a broken home. Yeah, I, I erased those two movies from my memory. I just like, oh no, pain. You know, I mean, the, the idea is that the boogeyman exists. The idea is that magic exists. Um, there are some things that, that are that are not explainable, and and some things that that go beyond the pale, and um, uh, and I, I thought that um, similar to to Doctor Loomis uh, in the uh, first Halloween, uh, you have Tom Atkins, another wonderful genre actor, uh, uh, tr uh, the, the, really the only person who knows the real story and and knows that it's just bad and and it's got to be stopped and. It's not something that you can easily explain. Certainly not over the, the over the phone to network executives. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it has robots and uh, a powerful corporation that wants to melt kids' heads and have bugs come yes. out their eyes. And by the and, way, and, the and, theme song is one of the catchiest things that'll ever get into your brain. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, again, I, I think people who like movies like Night of the Creeps. I think I think people who like movies like Phantasm. Uh, a lot of those those kinds of horror fans who like the the real like high energy '80s horror, almost tailor made for video. I think Halloween Three has a power on video that it doesn't have in a movie theater because it's all about television. Um, and so I, I think that that people, a lot of people who have not given it a chance, and I'm not talking about Halloween fans. I'm talking about uh, uh, '80s horror fans. I think a lot of people have skipped over it because they just figure it's more of the same. I think some of those people need to come over and, and watch this film and take it as a standalone uh, uh, sci-fi fantasy horror film. Yeah, if it was just called Season of the Witch and put out there as a sci-fi horror movie, totally different audience. 
and it has more depth than any of the Halloween movies. They're not as good as the first one. I really like 4, and I like the H2O one, even though it's basically with Michael Myers. They're good watches, but this one alone is so unique, so strange. The first 15 minutes just draw me in. Even the opening sequence of that dun 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 the little pumpkin that's being designed in like the old Atari design, yes, and the, yes. the music, and the fact that the first for the first 15 minutes, you have no idea what's going on. And not in a, well, these guys don't know what they're doing, they're just throwing stuff out there. No, Tom Lee Walsh was very, very focused on what his vision was for this movie. And a lot of people gave him flack for that in Friday Night 2. It's really surprising they were able to make movies because these days they just cast you off into the void and get to eat and that's it. Yeah, yeah, he did some Twilight Zones for, for TV, the 80s Twilight Zone. And, uh, yeah, Friday Night 2 and uh, It, It, he did yeah, for television. I think television. It pretty much saved his bacon on that one. People seem yeah. to be happy with that. Yeah, and, I, and he definitely created another horror character with Tim Curry as Pennywise. Uh, but yeah, I think that he did a great job making it feel like Carpenter. You know, I, I think that that I think it is that movie has kind of that energy that Escape from New York and some of the other films have. A little aside, when we had Stacey Nelkin, I don't know how big of a Blade Runner fan you are, but uh, she's rumored to be the fifth replicant. No kidding. And they had filmed some scenes with her with uh, J.F. Sebastian. And apparently all those scenes were turned into scenes for Pris, and they just eliminated that fifth character huh. uh, uh, for the budget. I think it was just for budgetary reasons. So, so even though they say there's five replicants, you know, the in, the, in the dialogue they always say there's five replicants and there's all this kind of hubbub about the fifth replicant, uh, it being Deckard, obviously, in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the director's cut or the, you know, whatever you might consider... Um, any further cuts, but in the original cut of the movie, the fifth replicant is supposed to be um, a fifth replicant. And but so Stacy was always felt like she she missed out by getting cut out of that movie. But she does get to play an android uh, <laughs> yes, the same year in Halloween three. So if you want to see the fifth replicant, watch Halloween three. That's a sort of sideways sequel. <laughs> in some weird way the worlds were connected it's just like oh well this one went back in time you know it's like what <laughs> yeah she didn't get fried on an electric fence she went back in time so how did she react to the showing of halloween 3 oh uh, well wonderfully you know it's interesting i mean it was a little uncomfortable sitting next to her during the sex scene with uh tom atkins but but other than that uh she was really amazed People laughing, people cheering, people really getting into it. I think I think this movie has found its day. I, I think that a lot of people have come around uh, to, especially now that we're embracing the sort of wack the wackiness of the '80s and and the sort of radness of the '80s. Halloween is a pretty rad movie, and I think that um, uh, uh, people love it now. I, you know, it's great. It was it was amazing to see people turn around and say, wow, I really like this movie. This is my favorite in the franchise now, or this is my second favorite to the original, or this is a standalone movie I wish someone had told me earlier. So, uh, And, and Stacy was really excited to hear all those comments, to, to be around all these people who were loving her in this movie and loving this movie and enjoying it uh, as, a, as, as a fun movie because it's a fun movie. All right. So um, before we go to popcorn, um, you have a new project called Outer Space International. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, it's a, it's a new venture. Um, I, I had some 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 success uh, over the past two years on Roku on a channel called Zombie. Um, my contract ended with Zombie, and Zombie is now doing uh, some 
some partnerships with new people and they're going in another direction and I want to go uh, uh, another direction. And uh, my wife and I, um, we, we created kind of, uh, I like to describe it almost as an artist collective only with video producers. Mm -hmm. And rather with an artist collective, you have a bunch of artists who put on a gallery show. These are a bunch of film and, and TV producers putting on a network. Um, a lot of cross promotion, a lot of cross uh, um, cross promotion, and audience building, and and kind of um, uh, setting up ways for producers to maintain the rights to their own material because we don't we don't want to own anybody else's stuff, uh, and also they can monetize their their own material. So we're we're, we're creating um, uh, ways, uh, you know, subscriptions and download services as well as. Um, uh, uh, helping people develop merchandising for their shows, uh, creating commercials for their shows. Um, you know, a lot of people who, who do shows, especially a lot of my friends, have, uh, have come up through making shows for public access like that and things like that. It's always kind of like there's always the shame of trying to monetize it in some way, you know? Yeah, it's kind and, of weird. You have to make a living at it, but at the same time, you love it so much, you don't want to be like one of those guys like, yeah, I just do this for the money. You know, I would love to make money at a podcast, but I also know the reality is that there's like a bazillion people out there. you got to find your niche. But even if you found like this huge audience, it's really hard to ask people. And it, it's, but it's a reality. If you want to keep seeing content, somehow you have to support it financially. Well, yeah, and 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 I think you know, obviously, so you can continue to feel good about what you're doing. And 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 again, you know, uh, you know, babies are expensive, and they need to be fed, and equipment needs to be bought, and 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 actors, you know, at a certain point, in your you run out of favors, and you have to pay people to help you with editing and things like that. So all those things cost money, and and I think that uh, there is a. Um, uh, a, a definite need for for new ways and and of of, of kind of uh, especially people like me who are lifers who you know I'm I'm always going to be producing I'm always going to be putting out content you know it'd be nice to just uh, be able to have kind of a, a steady base because because in the past few years it's like every two years I have to send people to a new channel or a new distributor or a new network or you know and and so I I kind of wanted to create a base for myself but. I also want to create a platform for other people, and um, right now we have um, a, a lot of, uh, some of them are movie hosts like uh, Carlos Borloff of Monster Madhouse and <laughs> Ormond Grimsby of um, Monster Creature Feature. Um, I have a, a horror hostess named Bunny Galore who is uh, going from London, who is actually not hosting movies. She's going to be showing a uh, kind of a parody of a soap opera oh, nice. that she made called um, uh, Pantry Manor. And, uh, and we're going to have, uh, you know, not just comedy stuff. It's going to kind of be like a, a UHF station or an early cable station where there's just a lot of wacky kind of offbeat um, programming. Uh, we'll basically have a streaming channel that's free. Uh, and that will be on the internet. It'll be on Roku. We'll, we'll, we'll probably try to have a phone app. We'll have, um, you know, um, whatever various, you know, Chromecast, whatever various things are out there. We'll try to be at as many on, on, of them as possible. But then we'll have special things and downloads and uh, on-demand things as well. Um, so, so hopefully, the combination of it all will uh, keep everybody 
producing and if they're, if, you know, if everybody feels supported and they, and they feel uh, 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 supported in what they're doing, you know, like, you know, like, for example, there'll be breaks in the shows. So during the break, you'll see someone else saying, hey, you're watching Cinema Insomnia right now, but if you stay tuned, you get to see my show or, you know, tune in next week and see my show or whatever it is. Um, and then and vice versa, in their show, they're learning about my show. So we're kind of making commercials for each other to sort of expand the fan base, but also to try to hold on to these fans. Um, uh, there's so many distractions on the Internet. If we kind of create a causal loop where we're, we're kind of keeping them with us um, uh, with, with our various pro uh, uh, programs. So that, that's kind of what, uh, what we've got. We're still developing, the, developing it. We're still working the kinks out, but we're launching in October. And um, we have a Facebook um, fan page uh, called Outer Space International. The channel will be called OSI 74, and that will be, uh, you'll be able to get to that at osi74.com. Uh, uh, it's there right now. The website's there, but you, um, there's no, there's no uh, streaming video on it yet. That will happen in October. Anyway, I'm real, I'm real excited about it, and thank you for giving me the uh, opportunity to, uh, to talk about it. No problem. Uh, so there is some content though up right now you can check out on YouTube, correct? Like kind of a, yeah, a, a uh, preview. There is some some stuff on Vimeo. Um, there's a lot of um, yeah. There's a there's a there's some there are some clips on YouTube and there are some uh, uh, but there's a whole Vimeo channel which has a basically maybe thirty of my shows, uh, a bunch of episodes of Criswell Predicts where I play my character from the Plan Nine movie which uh, is supposed to come out domestically later this year. It's already been released internationally uh, on DVD. So if you have an all-region player, you know, find a store in Australia and, and pick up Plan 9. <laughs> it looks good. I, I watched the trailer for it. It looks – it's an homage, but it doesn't play it down. It doesn't – it's not purposely easy. It looked like it was a fun ride. It's just, you know, um, you got to get past the stigma of the original to know that it's an homage, but at the same time, it's this fresh new thing. It's it's fun. It, it speaking of '80s movies, it does kind of feel like an '80s movie. It kind of reminds me of the '80s Blob versus the um, the '50s Blob, which is one uh, of the greatest they, horror movies. So underrated. I cannot. Underrated. I know. To this it's day, good. I still can't believe that movie bombed. It's somewhat the gutsiest horror movie I think. And I don't mean in a, a pun way. I mean the stuff Frank, Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell did with that movie is just stunning. That is almost a whole episode in itself. I would totally agree, and you know, so it, it's kind of in that tradition uh, where where it's 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 not trying to uh, discount the other; it's just kind of expanding. Uh, and I think that uh, what's also neat about this Plan Nine is that uh, we do have Conrad Brooks playing the same character oh. from the first movie as an old man. So technically, it's a, it would be sort of a furthering. I wouldn't say a direct sequel, but there's certainly a furthering to where the events of the first movie still happen. So um, that that way, we're not we're not we're not replacing anything. We're not undoing anything. Even though I'm 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 Criswell in the movie, uh, it's a dubious sort of title because in the my character in the movie says, "Stop calling me Criswell." So you know we don't know who he really is oh, in the. Movie. So, so uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of weirdness there to where uh, it, it allows you to, to keep the first uh, film intact, and I think it's it's a love letter. It's a it's a lot of fun. It reminds me a little bit of like uh, Machete or whatever, where it's just kind of over the top and sort of knows what it is as okay. far as being a movie. 
so I, I think that I think that people will 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 you know will get it. We did we. It's a it's a it's an interesting direction. It certainly wouldn't be if I were to sit down and write a Plan Nine remake. That wouldn't be what I would have written. But it was fun to be a part of it. The fact that Criswell was more than a narrator this time, where he was kind of uh, a witness to everything that was going on and a participant and jumping up on top of cars and firing guns and you know things that you wouldn't imagine Criswell doing. So it was a lot of fun. Um, speak of love letters to horror movies and horror movie fans, our second movie is Popcorn. And this movie, at the time, was actually critically well-received, loved by fans, but somehow it has been forgotten because it has such low distance. It's kind of a shame because it is better than almost anything else out at that time. Yeah, 1991 was kind of like the wasteland, you know. It's like the, the Freddies and Jasons and all of those sort of were petering out around that time. And so there, there wasn't really... Um, anything uh hitting um with fans uh at least the, that i can remember and uh popcorn is a great movie for people like us people who love movies and uh it is a shame it, uh, one of the things i really like about it is alan ormsby i guess uh is uncredited as a co-director and writer but he he was in children shouldn't play with dead things and he um he created the retro movies, the movies that are in the movie that people are watching. Which are a lot of fun. Which are amazing, yeah. Um, all of them are really fantastic. Uh, you know, the stench and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the uh, I forgot what the, the guy who's the, the, the amazing uh, electrified man, oh, I think, something like that. And, uh, yeah, and there's just a lot of really, I mean, they're all spot, the mosquito one, which I can't remember. I guess it's just called... Is it Mansquito or I don't know? I'm well, confused. Well, I get this one confused because Matinee came out the next year and it kind of had this setup with the fake movies, just a different spin. I mean, those two movies yeah. came together really well, both bombed, sadly, and uh, it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, maybe it's the retro feel that the general audience couldn't get into or, well, let's just say uh, Matinee was a universal source, so they had the money to promote yeah. it. But this was from like some nothing company that only made two movies, both of them with Jill Scholl and Rich Girl and Popcorn. And right. I think they went out of business like immediately afterwards, so there was no chance of there being a, really a Popcorn 2, which is a shame. Cause I, it sets up a world and a new villain you can get behind. Yeah, I really like the, uh, I guess, Toby uh, character. I mean, we have sort of a red herring villain in Lanyard Gates. Um, where we, we sort of think that everything is because of Lanyard Gates, and then, and then of course, we, we get sort of this, that ends up sort of being a red herring, and we, we end up uh, discovering this sort of faceless, uh, faceless, I guess people say he's sort of like Leatherface, but I, I think his thing's a lot more clever. He's sort of like Clayface from Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> well, it's like a combination of that, but you notice underneath the makeup, he almost has... It's weird that his, the, the mask that he wears are rubber because he almost has like that face-off, faceplate thing, you know, with the little like pieces or whatever. It's as if he could like lock it into place or whatever. And I was like, is it really Nicolas Cage under that makeup? <laughs> you know, it's wow. like one of those. It, but yeah, it also has the clay face thing where he can switch so fast from one to another. But they also treat it with reality. I hate the thing where they take off masks and uh, there's no real, like, you can tell when it's fake. But you know the yeah. scene where Tony Roberts has seen the girl, whatever, and see the whole thing because it's too warm. It, it was just freshly yeah. made, and it's pulling yeah. off. Yeah. The director and writer really got together and said, "If this insane thing could happen, what's the most realistic way that we could have it happen?" Yeah. 
Well, and, and again, with the limited amount of effects that they had at that time, they did a really good job with it. I mean, you, it, it kind of, you can see it wearing thin just a little, but it's fairly, it's a pretty amazing uh, makeup effects, I think, in that film. And, and, and again, an enjoyable movie. I mean, again, talking about a love letter, I mean, just I think anyone who's ever worked in a movie theater, anyone who's ever put on a film show, anyone who ever went to Rocky Horror or went to some sort of uh, movie with audience participation, it's like, I, I don't, yeah, you're right, this movie kind of fell in the cracks, and I, and I don't really understand why, because uh, I guess it's finally getting a Blu-ray treatment. Um, uh, I, 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 uh, I, I talked to a friend of mine, um, who, who has some insider information, and she said that um, it's the music that's really holding it up, which is a, with a lot of movies, like Heavy Metal, it just didn't come out for years because all the licensing with the music is just a mess. Yeah, the difference, though, is, see, you know, Heavy Metal had really known bands, you know, Devo and Sammy Hagar. I didn't recognize any of these bands, Popcorn, no. small independent <laughs> band. I was like, these guys really hold it up. I'm pretty sure they could use the 50 bucks from the licensing fees. Yeah. I mean, not that it's bad music, but they're not like what real well known. Is, this is shot like Africa, isn't it? South Africa, uh, Jamaica, Jamaica. Yeah, I think I have a feeling the whole movie was just designed as a vacation for a bunch of filmmakers. Yeah, I really think so. It doesn't play it cheap with the cast though, because Jill Sholin, of course, she's a, a screen queen, but she separated herself. She's up more in the Jamie Lee Curtis screen queens that could actually act instead of just yeah. being like. The bimbo, which was always a horrible thing in slasher movies that they should never have done. Uh, always treat, even if they're supposed to die, they should treat them with some sort of character and respect that will care when they die. Um, Tom right. Willard is amazing as Toby, and sadly, I think he passed away right after this. Or yeah, uh, he he died in '94 of pneumonia re uh, related to AIDS, yeah. um, and that's really a shame. It's really sad because he's a great. He's got he's got a great face, which makes him perfect for this character. But he, he's just, you know, you've seen him in so many television shows and sitcoms and, he, you know, he's like the, the goofy boy next door. And he's really, he's really, really perfect for these kinds of roles, but also wonderfully comedic and, and, and kind of uh, and just, just enormously talented. It's just really a shame that the guy passed away because I would have liked to have seen him in a lot more movies. Yeah, they never give him uh, cheap one-liners. He's funny without throwing out generic one-liners like Schwarzenegger style or Freddy Krueger style. And uh, the, the part where it says it's a love letter to fans, there was a lot of horror movies at that time that started purposely throwing in, like, oh, Carpenter, Barker, you know, calling their characters horror. Yeah. And dropping in, like, these love letters. This one yeah. is um, not cutesy. It's just very straight up, and it makes sense in its context that it's in that theme. And uh, Ray Walston is great as the guy who brings in. Like, he'd be the old showman. Who's, uh, I hate the fact that I can't remember. Who's the one during the 60s? He's like, uh, William Castle. Yeah, William Castle. He's kind of like a version of him, you know, yes. he, like he used to do this kind of stuff and brings in all these great props and uh, it's just one of those movies that really stick with me. I, I, I can't believe it's one of those few horror movies I can watch with my whole family. Crazy as that sounds, we all loved it when it came out and uh, we still talk about it to this day. Yeah, you know, when I have uh, when I have a mixed crowd over at the house, it's a great movie to put on because it's, there's really nothing in it that's, it almost feels like a TV movie in that way to where there's there's really nothing in it that's, that's that's that over the top. It's or offensive in it, you know. I don't. At least that I, nothing that I can think of. Yeah. No. And no real gore. No nudity. And the women are smart. Kelly Jo Minter, of course, uh, who was in like every great. D. Wallace. D. Wallace yeah. is like solid really gold. Smart characters. They never play down. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, all the characters are sort of dimensional, you know, even, you know, even the sort of, I mean, they've got the sort of sassy one and the fat one and the whatever, but they're all, they're all have a little character, they have dimension to their characters, you know. Which was rare for horror movies, even at that time, they still were trying to get franchises going, so they didn't care about those characters, they wanted to make, like, Shocker, you know, Shocker, they seem to be mostly focused on making this, though, the new uh, Freddy Krueger, and you have to care about one side in order to care about the other side, you can't just lopsided that way and it's one of those movies that's very easy i agree i totally agree i think it you know yeah i mean it, it, with child's play and a lot of these other ones that were coming out everyone was looking to 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 create their own mickey mouse of horror you know yeah. to create some marketable uh slasher villain but you know you, you can't go into it like that and and skimp on character and story all right so i think is there anything else you want to say about either one of these movies only that they're great in that they, they are must-sees. If, if, you, if you are an insomniac or if you're just a civilian, I think that they are, are must-see, underrated, overlooked films. Yeah. Uh, Shout Factory, or Scream Factory, has Halloween 3 out right now. Really high-quality uh, Blu-ray. And, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Popcorn's coming out on Blu-ray within the next couple months. Popcorn will be coming out on Blu-ray. They're just they're, they're working out some details. Uh, uh, Christy Jett uh, 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 has has been working on that. Uh, she's been the champion of putting that out on Blu-ray, and uh, she gave me the insider info that uh, really it's just the music. Everything else is a lock, and and I think that and you're right. Those guys need the fifty bucks. So I think that DVD <laughs> Blu-ray is going to be coming out. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it is sort of weird that it's filmed in Jamaica cause it, it does, it does sort of like, feels like it's in an alternate universe. Um, but, uh, it's great. It's a great movie. All right. Thank you everybody for checking out another great episode of Trash Cinema. Check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. Check out Cinema Insomnia for, uh, is that the website? Cinemainsomnia.com? Cinemainsomnia.com. They're not bad movies, just misunderstood. Which is perfect for this show. All right, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mr. Lobo, for coming on the show, and have a good night. to Trash Cinema. As you can tell, this episode, we're going to be discussing Flash Gordon and Masters of the Universe. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host... I'm very excited about this episode. Plus, I mean, it's just, Flash Gordon, it's so bad, but it's so good. I know, it's ridiculous. Um, I've seen this movie about four or five times. Here's the weird thing. I've only seen the movie like four or five times, but I have listened to that soundtrack over and over and over because we had the soundtrack when I was a little kid. And, of course, when you're a kid, you don't have that much music. Oh, my God. I think most of my music was actually soundtracks. Now that I think about it, Beverly Hills Cop, Pirates of Penzance, Streets of Fire, mm-hmm. this. Oh, that being Oh, song. God, yeah. Of course, my, favorite, I know. my plus, favorite line is, Golden Alive? <laughs> I know, plus, it's Queen. You can't go wrong with Freddie Mercury. No, you can't. Ever. Not, ever. It can be anything. Think of three great movies in the 80s and uh, that they contributed to. And all three of them are awesome in their own weird way. Flash Gordon, Highlander, and uh, Iron Eagle. And, you know, they all did major songs in those movies. And, you know, they could have done some movie that everybody hated. But no, they did three movies that connected to generations. Indeed. 
All right, so I'll say this, though. Uh, this being the fourth or fifth time I've seen Flash Gordon now, I got a little bored. For the first time, I was no longer that... It, it's kind of slow. It kind of drags. It does. I, I mean, I recognize that. I think watching it the second time as an adult now, I, I was like, it was only an hour and a half? Yeah, I know. What? It feels like it's forever. But it looks it is. amazing. The set design is top-notch all the way. Dino De Laurentiis did not spare a penny on how it looked. No, Dino De Laurentiis. What does that name sound familiar? Is he the one who also worked on Masters of the Universe? No, he did Conan the Barbarian. Oh, you're right. Transformers oh, movie, gosh. Evil Dead 2, Manhunter... Uh, Army of Darkness. Uh, of course, Science of the Lambs is probably his most well-known production. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, of course, it being you know all the praise it got, and you know Anthony Hopkins winning Best Actor for playing Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, and of course he milked that first... to death. <laughs> he made those until no one wanted to go to him anymore. Oh, of course. Uh, I mean, or he just got tired of the character. Oh no, I didn't mean Anthony Hopkins. I meant Dino De Laurentiis. He just kept pushing and pushing it until. I think, I think until he died. And even this, the TV show is going right now. Isn't there a TV show called Hannibal? Oh, uh, there was. Oh, gosh. Mads Mikkelsen is the one who plays Hannibal. Oh, yeah. gosh. I love is that, that guy. Is still on the air? Is that canceled? I think it might be canceled. Uh, I don't know. I never watched it. Well, we're way off topic right now. Um, Flash Gordon. Uh, here's the thing. is It came out after Star Wars. So everybody expected when this came out for it to have top-of-the-line special effects. Now, it does. What it does visually was very, very complicated because it's taking what was cutting edge at the time, but also making it look retro. Like, it's, it's an homage to old serials. So it's not supposed to be groundbreaking, realistic, lived-in future. It's supposed to look like it's from 1935, just the best possible 1935 there could be. And that's impressive because that makes a very deliberate choice to go campy and old school. Yeah, it did. That's, what I, that's definitely what I felt when watching this. But at this, and also, I think when this movie was, you know, being talked about trying to get into production, George, George Lucas wanted to do it, but they wouldn't, so he ended up creating Star Wars. Good yeah. move, George. Yeah, I think that he tried that with a couple things. He tried to get The Hobbit. Uh, I think he tried to get Dune, and none of it worked out. And yeah, so he ended up creating Star Wars, which, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, oh. it did amazing things, and uh, it set a whole new trend. I'm not why I said whatever. I think it's because... It's I know, it's like the Star Wars... No, no, I started thinking about what he came back for. I was like, oh, Phantom Menace, fuck. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, Phantom Menace, it was a cool title, but the only cool thing about it was Darth Maul and the pod race. Everything you know, else right? was just right? garbage. It, plus, the whole Trade Federation thing didn't make any sense. But it was a good... But like I said, George Lucas, you know, creating you know, creating stars, it was a great idea. I mean, just look at this movie. I mean, don't get me wrong, Sam Jones, I thought he was great as Flash Gordon. He had the hair, he had the look and everything. A former Marine. Yeah, and he bleached his hair, but I'm pretty sure that's a wig. If not, they bleached the absolute hell out of that hair. It's possible. Oh, he did. He still has his hair. It's still prodded. <laughs> well, his hair is actually very dark, and he usually keeps it short. So it was kind of a surprise when you see this. Now, you said that he was an ex-Marine? Yeah, he ser I know he served. I didn't know that. Uh, all I know is that he was in 10, you know, the Dudley Moore movie, right before this. And that's how he got the offer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Melanie Anderson's in it, Topol. And, you know, what I really love is uh, Brian Blessed. He is absolutely amazing. Every time he would say, dive, I get, like, this, like, an energy rush. And uh, Max Boy. Boncito, man. Max Boncito is just absolutely amazing as Ming. 
And oh, yeah, those he is. two just kill it for me. They're just like so awesome. Oh, yeah, he's going to be in the new Star Wars, too, speaking of. Yeah, that, that I was surprised by. Do I really want to see an old Boba Fett and have him see him as Max Moncito? Not really. I want the mystery of Boba Fett to stay. I don't want to know everything about him, and I most definitely do not want to see him as an old man. Right, and plus, honestly, I think Jango Fett ruined Boba Fett entirely. Uh, there's nothing worse. It's George like finding out the entire history of the man with no name. You know, if Clint Eastwood were just to sit there for a whole fourth movie and just sit there, let me tell you about the story of my childhood. Like, no, no, I don't want to hear about it. Shut right. up. You know who I really liked in this movie? What? Princess Aura or Nella Muti. Oh, my uh, God. Hubba, hubba, hubba. She's 60 years old. I mean, she's, I think, I don't know, Italians have great genetics. They stay looking young. I mean, look at Sophia Loren and Monica Bellucci. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, here's the funny thing is I saw the name of the writer, uh, and automatically I was like, why do I know that name? Lorenzo Semple Jr. He wrote for the Batman show in the 60s. Oh, my gosh. That explains the campiness. Yeah, and then, of course, he would go in the exact opposite direction and write these political thrillers, uh, The Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor. So that dude is kind of oh, wow. all over the place. So real campy, then real dead serious. Oh, wow. That's, that's, quite, that's quite a switch there. Oh, dude, he wrote another shitty comic book comic strip movie, Sheena. Oh. Have you ever seen Sheena? No, I have not. Oh, my God, that is awful. We got to watch that. That is like Beastmaster garbage. Oh, oh, so it's worse than Beastmaster. Oh, my gosh. You know, I did hear that reference so many times from Sawyer and Lost. You'd always call that, you'd always say that to Ben's daughter. Like, you know, nice to meet you, Sheena. Yeah, like I actually love Beastmaster, even though it's a little campy. It's one of the best sword and sorcery movies out there because it has a full understood mythos. Um, the reason I said it was like a low-rent Beastmaster is because it has the same woman. The woman who started Beastmaster, Tanya Roberts, is also in Sheena. It's really weak. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll have to look into it. But anyway, so yeah, back to Flash Gordon. This is actually the second movie this month that Lorenzo Semple Jr.'s wrote and that we made fun of he also did his very last movie was with gene simmons and john stamos called never too young to die gene simmons yeah gene simmons as a transvestite terrorist Wait, as it like oh no that's i'm thinking of richard simmons no, that <laughs> no, okay. been, oh my god that would have been so much better <laughs> <laughs> holy shit that would have been great and one and two and three and the bomb goes off and four yes and five. i can <laughs> oh you know, everybody said that uh, the Flash Gordon was a huge flop, but I'm looking at this right here, and it pretty much made its money back. Uh, budget was twenty it, million dollars, made twenty seven million in America, and made a ton overseas. This wasn't as big a bomb as they said it was. No, not at all. And it had Timothy Dalton, who was like a damn good Bond. Yeah, you know he's really good in this movie. I actually was really entertained by his performance. Uh, he does. I know. You just want to punch him in the face because he's such a dick. Okay, so there's a sequence where they fight on that little board that goes in angles and has all those little spikes in it. Oh, yeah. How did they not impale themselves on those? Because I always thought they were rubber, but this time I really paid attention, and Sam Jones grabs onto it. It does not bend. Ah. Those were, they probably weren't metal, but they were plastic, but still, you land on one of those, you are impaled, and it stunned me. That hurt? Oh, gosh, yeah, no, that had to have hurt. That was hor- That's just absolutely horrible. Ugh. Yeah, and uh, and, uh, and yeah, at the end of the movie, yeah, but at the end of the movie, it looked like it was going to set up a sequel, but that never happened, no. thankfully. And here's the thing: is I remember reading twenty years ago in the back of one of those like sci-fi magazines I had, Sam Jones said that he was blackballed from Hollywood because 
he demanded his proper pay for Flash Gordon. He was only paid for what was up front for shooting movies, and he never got his percentages. And I'm not understanding exactly how it is that Dino De Laurentiis is responsible for that, because I kind of thought that was one of those things where the Screen Actors Guild took care of all that kind of stuff. I don't know. But he said he was blackballed because he tried to sue Dino, and uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, mean, I can't say that Sam Jones was given props for a good performance. A lot of people really hated his performance, and you know he did some stuff after this, but most of it was direct-to-video, and I kind of think it's just how it goes. I don't think he was blackballed because of that. He might have been blackballed because it also says that he quit the movie halfway through post-production. Wow. Did you notice that um, if you watch the movie again, listen to his voiceover stuff. And I was sitting there listening and going, wait, that's odd. He doesn't sound like he did just 10 minutes ago. He sounds like a person. It's like as if the director told him, we need you to feel younger and less, uh, less masculine. We need you to do a high-pitched younger voice. Seriously, watch the movie again. You'll notice his voice uh, goes high-low, 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 high-low. It's because someone else stepped in to do the voice work for him and is pretending to be Sam Jones. Yeah, I know. His entire dialogue was dubbed by another actor. All of it? I, I know. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if I don't think it, I don't think it really did. No, I mean, let's not go entire. There is some there that you're like, uh, no, that sounds like him. There's some are like, oh, that sounded that's... like someone different. Yeah. I know. It, yeah, but quite like I said, quite honestly, I don't think this movie. I mean, it overall. I mean, it was still pretty bad, but. Just at the same time, so good. <laughs> yeah. This is nowhere nearly as bad as Flash Gordon, the porn parody. Have you ever seen okay, that? Okay, we'll, 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 I'm two. not. What's that? I am not surprised that there's porn. Par- there's porn parodies of almost every. Oh, oh no, movie. no, no! This is the first porn parody, as far as I know. It was like 1973 or 74, and it has really, really good special effects. And it uh, it has a little bit of it's. I wouldn't say it's triple X, where they're like you know. Penis vagina, penis vagina. You know, I mean, it's just like you see lots of nudity and there's sex going on, but no actual insertion. So it's, I, I, it's not. So like, soft porn. Yeah, it's like real, real close though. And then there was a sequel right. I watched over and over in high school. Uh, it was called Flesh Gordon Two meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a quarterback for the New York Jets. Yeah, and uh, it was insanely filthy. There's actually a scene where a giant claymation uh, stop motion. Talking penis comes after them, and I think it's uh, it's gay. It's a gay claymation giant penis coming after them, and it, uh, <laughs> it chases them into uh, okay. a cave, and it starts fucking the cave, and then all the jizz shoots out, and they slide down the jizz into. Uh, and it's just ridiculous. It's insane. It is okay. I do say that. I mean, it definitely had an influence on some people. I mean, like, it. I mean, Sam Jones even appeared in uh, Ted. You know. Right. The movie Ted by uh, Seth MacFarlane, and just you know they're out there partying with him, and he's just <laughs> uh, he's like being a total meta version of himself. Yeah, anybody who questions whether or not Sam Jones is a good actor, I will give them this. There is an episode of Stargate that he was on, I think in season three. He is absolutely top notch. Almost the entire episode is about him, and he is so good in that episode that I instantly wanted to check out everything that he ever did, and he has barely acted. In the last 20 years. It's really sad. Oh, I know. Like you just said, he was probably blackballed from doing any acting. But he is the CEO of Intercordon Incorporated, an international security company that provides diplomatic and executive production for high-profile clients. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Um, This is a borderline recommendation. I recommend it because it stands uh, on its ground where it says, this is going to be camp, and we're sticking to camp, Ian. Yeah. 
It is. I would. I would highly recommend it too. Especially, you know, it's like sci. You know, it's kind of like a sci-fi and you know fantasy genre. And perhaps people that like who know they're probably all passed away. Like the one who grew up watching the Flash serials and the, all the mini comic books. Then yes, by all means, watch this movie. All right. So our next movie is going to be Masters of the Universe. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. As a kid. I was batshit crazy for this movie. Like, I wanted it on VHS. I wanted it recorded. I want to watch it all the time. I wanted to be He-Man, but I never took steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this in the theaters. Now, it took extreme amount of convincing for my father to go because the previous year, I talked him into seeing the GoBots animated movie, and he never let that go. And I said, let's go see the Master of the Universe movie. And he's like, hell to the no. No, 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 no. I'm not watching that. And then he saw a trailer for it, and he's like, Oh, isn't that the dude from Rocky Four? Hey, that's the dude from Back to the Future. This is a real movie. There's lots of special effects. Eh, why not? Okay. And he saw it, and he wasn't mad at me, and I uh, got this on home video, and I watched this until the tape broke. Oh, yeah, no, I did the same thing. But thankfully, I have it on DVD, and I get to hear the commentary by the director. And, you know, just to get to watch this movie in good DVD quality. Yeah, there's, of an, course. App, there's an app on my Xbox. I can't remember what it's called right now. It's like Ubit Tube or something like that. It's very strange. But they have real movies. Uh, it's almost 90% all like direct-to-video, low-budget shit. But they have like Top Gun and a couple other movies. But they have the Blu-ray quality version of Masters of the Universe on it right now for free. I just can't remember the oh, damn cool. app. It's, it's on my Xbox. I'm sure it's on PlayStation as yeah. well. I'll, I'll give it to you later. And everybody just look it up. It's a, it's a new app on the Xbox. Yeah. Um, you know, this movie... absolutely pristine quality. Special effects look amazing. I'll have to look into that. But yeah, no, this movie, I mean, it would cost like $17 million. And, of course, it was by, what was the production company? Golden Globus? Can, yeah, can, uh, Golden, Golden Globus was the production company. Canon was the distribution company, oddly enough, owned by Golden Globus. Uh, the only Which reason, then got bought out by Warner Brothers. Yeah, the only reason they separated the two is because sometimes Canon would buy movies, so it wouldn't be produced by them. They would just buy it and distribute it. So um, This is a weird one because Warner Brothers, I believe, now owns the home video rights, but... Do. The streaming TV rights are owned by Paramount because this was actually not part of the original Warner Brothers package. Warner Brothers helped out Canon when they were kind of out of money. They bought Cobra. They bought Over the Top. They bought Superman 4. And then they started distributing the rest of their movies on video. So, right. Mass Universe, I still think, is an oddball because it's like with different companies right now. I don't, I don't know. I know it is. It was pretty strange. And the reason why... Uh, that movie was like crumbling and didn't exactly get to show what they originally wanted to do, you know, show more of, you know, Edenia and the rest of, you know, Snake Mountain and all that. Yeah. It's because, you know, they kept taking away the budget. Yeah. Like even that, that last fight scene between Skeletor and He-Man was from the director's own money. Yeah. The, uh, the thing with I mean, Canon Pictures is they made a decent amount of cash from the Mission Impossible, not Mission Impossible, Missing Action movies, Delta Force, Death Wish, right. um, Breaking, you know, a lot of low-budget movies. And then all of a sudden, in 1986, they decided, we're going to make a movie every single week of the year, which is insane. They literally released 52 movies in 1986. Not They pretty much crashed. That's what caused them to crash, didn't Yeah, too many movies, uh, too close to the vest. They spent too much money, like uh, Life Force. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's uh, basically space vampires come down to Earth, tons and tons of special effects, and uh, it didn't make a dime, but it's pretty entertaining. But that's what happened. They'd have like two or three big movies that cost way too much, 
and then like 50 low budget movies that didn't make a dime you know they just sold them overseas and uh they just barely made money back yes i will say though this movie i mean it definitely it starts off it kind of throws you right in the middle of things had a good beginning point yeah. you know it's like you're seeing the credits you know you're hearing about you know the power of grayskull and the sorceress and then all of a sudden oh boom all of a sudden all these black storm these black stormtroopers are just gathering everybody up and Next thing you know, Skeletor's in, you know, he has taken control of, you know, Castle Grayskull. The, uh, the one thing that bothered me about the movie when I first saw it is the fact that there actually is very little connection to the cartoon. You know, Man, oh, yeah. Ar- Man at Arms looks fairly close, Tila and everything, but uh, when it came to the villains, I'm like, uh, okay, Beastman, okay, I know you, who the hell are the other three guys? You know, who's the Lizard Man? Who's that little guy that looks like an Ewok on heroin and you know that oh, he bothered a, me he was a bat actually you could tell like you look at his ears and his stunted nose he's he definitely more of a bat yeah. but just not blind um, that's what he looks the, like to me and then blade and the serrat and blade yeah blade himself is pretty cool but he wasn't a, an action figure or in the cartoon so i was just like who is this i don't understand what's going on where where's it's, uh you know the guys that i know mechanic and uh, triclops and you know uh i can't remember ram man yeah you know where are the characters that i know I mean, where the hell is Orko? I have to deal with Gwildor? I love Billy Barty, but Gwildor pissed me off. I could not stand that character. That's what, I mean, I did like that they cast Billy Barty. Billy Barty, of course, was the number one, you know, dwarf actor to go to. I mean, he's been around. He was in vaudeville. He's but, been around forever. Yeah, but why didn't Billy Barty just play Orko? What, what, what was I think, that? Well, no, even the director admitted that they did not have the technology or the budget to, you know, properly work in Orko. Oh, they decided to create There's another wires. stuff. There's wires. You can easily fit that in a sequence here and there. Just have them floating low to the ground. Um, I don't know. Like I said, you know, the, they kept taking away the budget, and they, you know, it just couldn't work anymore. Yeah, so they decided to just go with Gwildor. That's the I like Gwildor. I was so I was more used to. You you like Gwildor really? Yeah, I know. I kind of like you know preferred him over uh, over Orko. He was you know plus you know Gwildor was a techn- technological genius. Actually, you know what? I, I, like I, I feel like a hypocrite right now because I've been saying this about Orko. I forgot. I hate Orko. I guess I can't stand the comedic sidekick when they're not that funny. Um, they've always been a problem. Cringer was a problem. Uh, Orko. Uh, what's the one again from Thundercats I always talk about? Snarf. Snarf. I can't stand Snarf. Um, yeah, the thing about Canon Pictures is I, I believe it was Superman 4 was supposed to have a budget of 25 to $30 million. Same thing for Master of the Universe. Actually, the budget for Master of the Universe they said was twenty-two million dollars. It was actually Superman seventeen. Superman four was seventeen. Did they cut Master of the Universe two? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Master of the Universe ended up costing just seventeen million dollars. Like I said, with the uh, you know the fight scene at the end was from the director's own money. Master of the Universe so that's why they so it. good though in comparison to Superman four. Superman four looks oh. bad. I kid you not. The sets, the production design, you know, the whole interior of Castle Grayskull that was two sound stages. I thought it was like some of the most I thought it was like one of the most wonderful sets ever. It's a shame they had to take it down. Yeah, but you know, Skeletor. Gary Goddard, the director, he really knew his technical stuff. He put so much time and quality into it. If you say it was seventeen million dollars, honestly, the look of the movie looks forty million dollars. It looks amazing. Yeah, no, he made he made that budget work, and also like the look of Skeletor, Frank Langella, perfect, absolutely perfect. I thought. Frank Best Langella himself ever. is perfect for the role. He loved it. You could tell he loved the role. Yeah, he did. Oh, gosh, that scene at the beginning when he gathers up the power of Grayskull and becomes like a god. 
Oh, that whole you know monologue that was like one of the best monologues within science fiction history. Even though the movie was like you know it was a cult favorite, it like even my friends that I've shown it to yeah. like now like when I was in college, they loved the movie. Yeah, and, you know Meg Foster's really great too um, as Evil Lynn. She's really oh yeah, I remember her from They Live. Now here's the problem of the movie. The movie has a terrible cast at times with the good side. Courtney Cox hasn't found her footing yet as an actress. She's not very good. Um, who's the guy from uh, James Toback from Back to the Future? He is a 50-50 yeah. shot. He's really good at whatever he's given, but the dialogue sometimes is so stupid that you can almost see it in his eyes. Like He's like, I gotta, uh, all right, I'll say it, whatever. Just let's keep going. You know, that kind of thing where it's like, you can almost sense that he realizes that whatever is going to come out of his mouth is stupid. But then he has moments where they're so awesome, like at the end when he realizes that he's overwhelmed, he's like, screw it, you only have one life to live, and he just starts unloading all, all those guys. That was awesome. Yeah, no, that was, a, <laughs> that was like his best, that was like his best, one of his best lines. Uh, and then, oh, oh gosh, the one who played uh, Kevin, I keep forgetting his name, I remember him from Star Trek. Was he on Star Trek? Uh, I don't remember, which one was that? Yeah, with, with Captain Janeway. Oh, I never watched that one. Yeah, no, he was, in, that's, you know, he was in that one. I keep forgetting his name, but he was really good in that movie. And also, um... That band, you know, his high school band, you know where it says on the drum, the name of the band, The Illusions? Yeah. That was actually Gary Goddard's high school band's name. Huh. Uh, of course, we have, yeah, plus, to talk, we have to talk about Dolph Lundgren. First movie post Rocky IV. Huge breakthrough role for and, him. But he, and A View to a Kill. Yeah, he's well, he's barely in that movie, so let's not even count that. Um, he's hampered by the fact that he was trying to cover his accent, but he almost sounds like a dumb jock with a head cold. And, and I think that hurts his performance because he's trying so hard to cover up his accent. Yeah, no, I, I, I like I said, I didn't see anything wrong with his performance. I liked it. No, but he gets much Except better. He's really good in this little tiny movie he did three years later called Cover Up with uh, Louis Gossett Jr. And uh, it's a political thriller. He doesn't really have many action sequences in it. He's more of a smart government guy. And all of a sudden, you just, oh, Holy crap, he knows how to act. He really knows how to act. And people treat him like he's a moron, but he's not a moron. He's actually smarter than all of us combined, probably. Oh, God, no. He uh, he got a degree from uh, his master's degree in chemical engineering at Stockholm University. Yeah, and he, and he was also... IT, you know, and he was in the pentathlon in the Olympics. Uh, oh, yeah. But he just wanted and... to be an action star. And who can who can deny him that? Who wants to? Who doesn't want to be an action hero? Well, no, his his uh, taekwondo instructor was the one who uh, thought he should do it. Yeah. He, he, should, like, go, he should go for it. And he did. And look... He's he, he still acts you know he still acts he goes to direct to uh, direct to video movies but I'm sure they're big uh, in their origin countries too yeah. if they go direct to DVD in America well his and other countries, movie with but... Tony Jaws in theaters right now oh wow yeah he's I got, look into that he's got two movies coming out in theaters this year true they're usually limited release and they're more focused on video on demand you know and uh, but still. He's in demand. People want to see him. Uh, whereas most action stars from this time period are fading away fast. But there's something about Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren that people really connected to. And I don't want to say it's just Universal Soldier, but you gotta say he gave a hell of a performance. Universal Soldier. Yeah, he did. Oh my gosh, he was a huge like. That's how he could play a villain. Like that can solidify him as a villain in any film that, if he were to be selected or considered. He is a good actor. It's just some of the stuff he's given doesn't give him anything to do except just kick somebody in the face, say a one-liner, and move on. And uh, that's the problem with He-Man is it really doesn't give him a whole lot. But you can see there's a couple sequences where he's struggling with the acting. Like he tries to say a line, you're like, oh, this isn't working. 
Yeah, I know, but I mean, in, in some of the parts where he's yelling, that's where it kind of struggles. Yeah. But um, other than that, no, I thought he was. I thought he was spot on for He Man. He had the look and the hair and everything. But at the same time, uh, another thing about that movie, it didn't really go into the origins. Like he would never revert back to Prince Adam or anything like that. Yeah, they didn't even I think talk that about. Might have been hard to explain in the in the film. Plus, it, it gets in the way. If they redo it, they should explain the origin. I know people hate origin stories, but screw it. Let's just tell the story of Eternia so we understand. It. Let's see Eternia. You know, we never really actually got to see it. We never got no, to we see only where got he see. was from, his family. Let's let's go that direction. I know they've been trying for like a decade, ever since John Woo had the rights, get Master of the Universe going before people don't want to see cartoon movies or um, toy-based movies anymore. Exactly. Plus, uh. That was another thing that was wrong with the movie. They kept, you know, focusing more on Earth. That's what I thought was a huge bummer. I wanted to see more of Eternia. I wanted to see the jungles. I wanted to yeah. see the bee people, well, it's just the bird people. At the time, the special effects didn't, you know, didn't come through. It's really, really hard and very, very expensive to create that kind of world. But, I mean, we just discussed Flash Gordon, and they had a different world. It was The funny thing is, Flash Gordon's like a road trip movie, you know? And each planet, they gave you a full visual of what it was like on that planet. Mass of the Universe could have done that, but... Um, I they don't know. Did. Did they, did, maybe they thought it wasn't accessible to general audiences if you have that alien world. I don't know. Yeah, no. Plus, like I said, they kept taking away the budget. Yeah. Bastages. Anyway, I know, but like I said, like I mean, Frank Langell was a huge thing, and plus, I think that was one of Courtney Cox's like big breaks with, with that movie, but at the same time, not because it became a cult favorite and right. wasn't very well. Well, I, I mean, it made its money back, but it true. wasn't you know what people were expecting. Yeah, and you know, one of the things they talked about was doing a sequel called The Cyborg. Master of the Universe 2, yeah. Cyborg. It was going to be a $5 million budget. Dolph Lundgren was not coming back. They were going to replace him. And uh, they had the sets built. And then Marvel, or Mattel, said the license was going to be like $5 million alone. And they're like, we can't we can't pay out that huge of a, a license fee. That's just insane. Wow, yeah, no. Yeah, the, the thing is, they were working on a sequel. And I think there was also a scene that they were going to write in where, you know, in the archives of Grayskull, they, it, you know, they found a U.S. satellite. So Eternia and Earth were going to be connected somehow, but they just scrapped all that because, no, they were entirely different planets. Yeah, and uh, so uh, the thing is that Canon Pictures on its last legs, they had the sets from Mass Universe built. They also had some sets for Spider-Man they were building, and then Marvel pulled the rights or they lost the rights because they couldn't afford it anymore. I, I really don't know. What happened with that one? They right. just they flat out couldn't afford it, and uh, so they're like, "Well, we have these sets here. What the hell are we gonna do with them? Should we just scrap them?" And then Albert Pion, uh, he came in and said, "You know what, guys? I can make a movie with these sets. Just you know, give me what you got." And they're like, "Well, we have half a million dollars. Go make whatever you want to make." And uh, he's like, "Can I have Chuck Norris?" And like, uh, "Chuck Norris, we can't get for that kind of price. He's like five hundred thousand dollars alone." So they hired Van. But they Hale. did get. They got Van Damme yep. for like $50,000, and you have your movie Cyborg. Indeed. And, of course, it didn't seem like it had anything to do with Masters of the Universe. No. At all. Well, I mean, they couldn't really do it because it had the license fee with it, but they had the set pieces, and Albert Pion was clever enough to figure out what to do. It's like That's like the way Roger Corman used to do it. He would just find bits and pieces and make a movie out of it. doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie because Cyborg kind of sucks. I know it had two sequels, but it sucked. And uh, but it gave Van Damme more of a career than he had before, so I appreciate that. Yep. So without Cyborg, without Master Universe, we wouldn't have Universal Soldier. Pretty much, yeah. And also, like I said, I always liked Dolph Lundgren. I have no problem with the guy. I mean, I've liked. I mean, 
like I said, Masters of the Universe was the first thing I saw him in, and then Universal Soldier, and then, of course, going back and realizing he was in Rocky, and Rocky Four was the one I had so much love for as a kid. Yeah. You know what, <laughs> and we, could then... you know what we could do is uh, we should take two of these action heroes from this time period, you know, that never got any respect, and let's find, like, a couple really cool movies and talk about them on here on Trash Cinema. Because the focus of Trash Cinema isn't just about making fun of movies. It's about talking about movies that bombed or were savaged by the critics. Or movies that nobody really knows about and championing them. Even though most people look at them and like, yeah, that's, that's garbage. Why would I want to watch that? Yeah. Although I will say this about Van Damme and uh, Dolph Lundgren. They st- they're still in great shape. Yeah, they're I in mean, better shape than most people half their age. Oh, definitely. And I, I think, well, with... Uh, and Dolph Lundgren, he, like, he's naturally built like that. He's Swedish. <laughs> Lucky. Yeah, I know. And also, yeah, Dolph Lundgren, he also played, yeah, he was also in Punisher with Louis Gossett Jr. Yep. That went even worse for him. <laughs> that didn't help at all. Um, you know, that's, that's another one. We could discuss the three Punisher movies because they're all maligned by critics and cri- uh, fans kind of fall with, either they love one or they love, you know, the two of them and they hate one of the, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird mixed bag. I think Thomas James was the best one. He will always be my Punisher, and he should come back as Punisher. Like Hands down. Bring him back in the Daredevil series, man. Bring him uh, in a couple episodes, like him versus Daredevil. Oh, my so gosh. They, they yes, he fit perfect. So why can't Punisher take on Daredevil? I know. It's like, plus, they both go after the Kingpin. They both have mutual enemies. He's, yeah. he's just... He, uh, no, no, that would be great to see. Punisher does need to come back. I mean, look, I mean, did you ever watch the short film Dirty Laundry? Yeah, yeah, I did. Thomas oh James my gosh! But if you can't get Thomas Jane, I have no problem with bringing in an older Dolph Lundgren as uh, the Punisher. Oh no, that'd be perfect. <laughs> he honestly, Dolph Lundgren, he, I thought he did great. He definitely personified Frank Castle. All right, everybody, that's the longest episode we ever had for Trash Cinema. I am actually impressed, but uh, we had a lot to talk about. Uh, mostly it's because we've seen these movies so many times, we had so much love for them, and I think they are horribly maligned by the critics. Um, the acting is questionable in Master Universe, but the special effects, the set pieces, the love that was put into it, uh, I totally give it uh, a recommendation. Oh, I highly do too. I mean, me personally, also, I think the look for Man at Arms was definitely spot on. I like John Cipher. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's cool to give on, him. Like, two... uh, uh, Hill Street Blues is the first thing I ever saw him on. Oh yeah, no, I mean he's still he's still kicking. Who's, who's I keep forgetting the act- who who played uh, Tila? I keep forgetting. But uh, I but can't remember. Sound- That's uh, Scott Bakula's wife. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I keep forgetting. Hold on. I it's can Chelsea, look it up Chelsea right Field? now. Is it Chelsea Fields? Chelsea Fields. Okay. All right, everybody. You so know, that that's it a... for us here at Trash Cinema. We are up on Retro Rock Entertainment. We're going to try to build a Trash Cinema page exclusively devoted to, you know, these uh, episodes. Because you guys, man, some of the love we get for some of these movies is amazing. And some we think are going to be like, oh, they're going to talk about it. Nope, nobody talks about it at all. <laughs> um, yeah, check us out at Retro Rock Entertainment for the time being. And I think we should end this with the theme song from uh, Master Universe movie. What do you think? Oh, I'd love to. Oh, Bill Conti did that. Yeah, he also, yeah, Bill so Conti also guys did. He also did the one for uh, Rocky. Yeah. So here we go. Theme song. Everybody have a good night. Good journey. I screwed up the credits. Sorry, everybody. Stands Castle Grayskull, 
For countless ages, the sorceress of Grayskull has kept this universe in harmony. But the armies of darkness do not rest, and the capture of Grayskull is ever most in their minds. For to those that control Grayskull will come the power. The power to be supreme. The power to be almighty. The power to be masters of the universe. ourselves with Street Fighter, which made us pretty, uh, uh it, it was shitty, but not like a terrible shitty, and then, uh, Street Fighter was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an okay shitty, it was like, oh, well, at least things are happening, and there's at least a budget, uh, then we discussed Mortal Kombat, which you still oh, love, I, I think love. it's kind of aged a little bit, like, you know, some stuff doesn't hold up, but this week, we dive deep into doo-doo, we discussed Super Mario Brothers and Double Dragon, which... Caused quite a bit of pain. <laughs> yes, so we're going to win Barrett and pass it out. I know. Now, I it doesn't ask, matter. Now, I would ask Jacob which one he would prefer to discuss first, but it's like being asked, hey, would you prefer to be pooped on or peed on first? And I, I fit in a lot of bathroom humor there. I fit a lot in. I, yeah. think, I, I think we met our quota for the month. I think we're good. Uh, either way, I'll be covered in someone's entrails. It's horrible. Oh. Alright, so the first one, uh, let's just go with Super Mario Bros. It was the one that was made first. The first big budget video game movie. You could say Tron is a video game movie. It is, but it's not based on It wasn't based on a video game. No, no, no. I mean, there's a few movies like that, like Arcade and uh, uh, that one entry of uh, Nightmares where Emilio Estevez is taking on the Bishop of Battle. But, But this is the first movie to be based on a video game, and wow... They fuck it up. They they set a trend for the rest of time up until this moment for video game movies to be shit. There's so very few that you can even sit through. I can't even say a single one of them is great. Even Tomb Raider, as entertaining as it is, it's still highly entertaining trash. It is. It is. It was complete trash. I mean, all it was Angelina Jolie. She she was sexy. She was beautiful. She really cared. She captured the character well, but other than that, it was it was shit. I don't really care for the first Silent one. Silent Hill. I've heard Silent Hill is good. I've never seen it. Uh, it's not that. No, I just they, they cannot seem to get it together for a good video game. Even Prince of Persia. Everybody's like, oh my god, this thing costs like 130 million dollars. It's from Disney. It's got a great director. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal. Nope, boring. Emotionally disconnected. It still Crap. Yeah. So, and he was white, main character's whitewashed. Yeah, that was another huge. That. that was so stupid. All right, but here we go. This is where it all began, where a studio picked up a license and basically pooped out something that I did it again. Wow, I think I've gone over. I might get fined. Uh, gone overboard in the opposite direction of what it should be. And now, because of this, Nintendo has never made another movie, which Link, Link of all characters from Nintendo, deserves to have a movie made. 
That he does. Plus, he never talks. He never actually talks, which would add more mystery to the character. He's, Link has never talked? Really? No, he just goes, hey, 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 He just, like, you know, makes fighting noises, but that's it. And also, I mean, Super Mario Brothers, I mean, as great casting as it was, I love I love Bob Hoskins as Mario. I thought he was kind of, I thought he was perfect. I, and John Leguizamo was pretty good, too. I drunk during filming of this. Am I wrong? Was he? I, I've read rumors that he was so miserable during production that he decided to start drinking and would show up to work intoxicated. Oh, so he could be an angry New Yorker and really capture the essence of rage? <laughs> Something like that. Well, I mean, well, how they started off in New York, yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought it was, like, kind of a good backstory, but, like, when going into the actual Mushroom Kingdom, what? The movie is well, very, visually, very confusing because everything that I expect out of it never happens, and I'm just like, where is my Mario moment? Is this even a Mario Brothers movie, or is this, what I thought it was, was it was a script for something else. They said, well, this kind of could fit, and then they just put it over there. Now, here's the thing that bothers me is that it's from the creators of Max Headroom which is such a great, unique view of the future. Um, and I think maybe they got the license for Super Mario Brothers and said, hey, we're going to put our own spin on it instead of trying to stay with the original source. Right. But, I mean, their own spin on it was kind of like this grungy, disgusting, fungus-fueled, underground, like kind of cyberpunk city. Yeah. I mean, is and, it supposed to yeah. be a combination of Blade Runner with pipes? Because... You know, Mario Brothers was a very bright, shiny, fun, open world kind of game, and then you're like watching the movie, going, "Where? What? Huh?" I know. I'm not seeing. I, I, you kind of see how they worked in, like, you know, going through tunnels to get to the parallel, you know, this parallel dimension. Plus, I mean, Mario wasn't really about dinosaurs. It's like, yes, like Bowser and Queen Koopa and all those other. Yoshi. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yoshi. I mean, yeah, they look like they look like rep- they are reptilian. They do have reptilian origins, but they weren't directly dinosaurs. No, and there was no Princess Peach. There was Princess Daisy, who was you know Luigi's love interest, and only just a character who would appear from time to time throughout the games. You ever think that Luigi and, gets pissed that Mario gets all the attention? Yeah, so I guess they wanted to give Luigi some more attention yeah. rather than but I you know think Mario being all the Mario. Mario what, was his mother like small brained or something? I don't know. So I, that was pretty weird. It's like, they are the Mario brothers. So it's like, you know, Mario is supposed to be their last name. But throughout the game, it's just, you know, I don't even think they had full, or, or I, I don't even think they had full names in the video games at all. They were just Luigi or Mario. That's yeah, it. I it never we, took place. Why is it Mario Mario? Why isn't, I don't know. You know what? Forget it. That's a discussion maybe for the people. It was a confusing and stupid discussion. Yeah. I thought, you know, Mario's girlfriend in New York, in like the real world, I thought... I think I thought her name was Pauline because Pauline was Mario's first girlfriend in Donkey Kong in his first appearance. So I thought they were doing something like that, huh. some kind of tribute. And I noticed one of the guys that was uh, Koopa's cousin, so one of his henchmen, uh, Fisher Stevens. Oh, I, he awesome. he was Iggy. Yeah, oh, and Richard Edson is his partner. Those guys killed me. Those guys are actually pretty funny. I like them. Oh yeah, no, especially for Fisher Stevens. I mean, so I like, they were I like pretty the ridiculous. Cast. Everybody in the cast is pretty well. Uh, either they're well cast or they're just likable actors, but it's it's not their fault. They do everything they can. It's the script. The script makes no sense. The script and the studios and the directors, they just really mash it up. You think, like, well, uh, it works, Shig- so let's do it. Yeah, so it's created by Shigeru Miyamoto. Do you think, what was he, do you think his reaction was when he saw this going, uh, this is a Mario Brothers movie? No, no, this isn't even, this isn't even close. He was probably, you know, he probably wasn't silent once the movie was over because a Japanese audience, when they after they're done seeing a movie, 
silence is the best thing they give them. That's like their greatest form of respect. It's like, oh my gosh. But I don't see how, like certain movies, how they can stay silent because that, I mean, how can you not talk about or just express your joy? Yeah. They probably wait till after they're done, like outside the theater, and then they discuss it. Um, so the, uh, the voice of Yoshi, you know how we say, uh, we do a, another podcast called Back in Tunes. The voice of Yoshi is done by Frank Welker. Frank Welker is basically in every single cartoon we review on Back in Tunes, and somehow he found a way to, <laughs> into trash cinema. Don't get me wrong, it's not like we're just, we're not disliking you at all, Frank Welker. I mean, we just hate the movie that you starred in. Yeah. Because it was a piece of shit, which was no fault yours at all. You were only just the voice of this cute little dinosaur who didn't even wasn't he, who wasn't even writable. What the hell was that? He didn't spit fire either. Ugh. But then again, wait, no. I think only Yoshi spit fire if he swallowed a certain fire flower or a red shelled villain. What I remember from the video game. That and Dennis Hopper as Koopa. It's like Koopa. He wasn't even. He only showed up like as he really did in the games, like as this giant reptilian monster yeah, at the had, very end of the movie, yeah, right before he turned into this puddle of goo. They should have left Koopa. As, like, a mysterious villain, like, oh, like, the legends that tell about how everybody fears him, whatever, then have him pop up at the end, not having some wisecracking. Well, Dennis Hopper, I like Dennis Hopper, but come on, man. No. Yeah, plus, in that kind of world, you know how, like, people were able to jump around? They had these, like, jumper rocket boots? Yeah. That, and they were fueled by bullet bills. Huh. That was pretty ridiculous and stupid. The whole, yeah, the whole and thing makes sense. Just go, if you're going to do this, go full board. Don't try to make realistic. Yeah. You know, I hate when they take something that's completely nonsensical and try to make it realistic. And you're just like, no, man, ride that train. Ride that crazy train where it's just bonkers, you know? Exactly. I know. Trying to make it realistic was kind of dumb. I mean, when they were, like, going into, like, coming from Brooklyn into, you know, the whole dinosaur world, yeah, they, yeah, they do go through a pipe, but they made it realistic. And that's how they got into the Mushroom Kingdom was through green pipes. But this wasn't green. This wasn't colorful. It was just grungy and sh probably full of shit, which this movie was. Do you know? And then, of course, oh, hold on. I, I noticed all the like election posters of trying to elect, you know, vote for Koopa. I'm like, it seems like a total and complete dictatorship. Huh. Why even try to, you know, say, hey, let's vote for Koopa because he's the right choice? It's kind of like, you know, it's almost like today's politics, really, at least in China. Uh, I want to go through this real quick. The first person offered... Now, here's the weird thing is Roland Joffe was a director, but I guess he wasn't interested. He was more interested in producing. So he offered right. it to Harold Ramis first. Oh, my God. He was a huge Super Mario Brothers fan, but declined the offer. Then they went to Danny DeVito to star as Mario. But in the short... They would have had to find a really tiny <laughs> Luigi. How would they have done... I mean, Luigi would have been a little bit taller, but come on. Uh, they offered him Mario, but they said that they wanted him to direct as well. But he refused to sign... Because he was not allowed to read the script. Oh my god, because he probably would have said no. No, and then I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Michael Keaton were both offered King Koopa. Oh, damn. <laughs> Here's the crazier thing. Tom Hanks uh, accepted the role of Mario. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't. I can't get over Arnold Schwarzenegger being offered the role of Koopa. Yeah, just but dude, surrounded they, they by this yeah, for a moment they had Mario, but he was too expensive. Tom Hanks? Wow. Yeah, he almost ended up, was just crazy. Oh my god. <laughs> That's it. Hanging out of Yeah. <laughs> but here's the reason why Hanks, not only because he was too expensive, but they hired Bob Hoskins instead, who they believed to be a more profitable actor. How much was Tom Hanks making at the time Bob Hanks, Bob Hoskins was not making? I mean, Bob Hoskins had just come off of uh, Roger Rabbit and Mermaids, 
Tom Hanks had just come off a couple of bombs. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, this is of course early in Tom Hanks's career, mm-hmm. and wait, wasn't he just? Didn't he just get uh, Philadelphia? He had he hadn't done Philadelphia yet. I don't think he had done Sleepless in Seattle yet. He had just bombed with Bonfire of the Vanities. To, uh, what's it? What's the volcano movie? Again? Joe versus the volcano. Joe versus the volcano. Yeah, it didn't do that well. And he had probably just come off of a league of their own, which he is kind of, sort of, not the star. It's more of a Gina Davis thing. So I just can't imagine that he would have been like so expensive. They were like, nope. Yeah, probably. But I mean, um, well, it's a good thing Tom Hanks didn't do that movie because it was such a miserable failure. Yeah, Bob Hoskins has spoken about this, saying it's the worst thing that he has ever done. It's the worst experience. Uh, he's the whole experience was a nightmare. That's horrible that Uh-oh. everybody remembers this movie and the man has passed on. Thankfully, he has Roger Rabbit to, as his legacy. Oh, and Ho- and not to mention Smee from Hook. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I know. And, he, you know, he reprised his role of Smee in uh, the miniseries of Neverland. Yeah, there was a miniseries. It was about, like, you know, young Peter Pan and how he and Hook were friends, you know, in England. You know, Hook was, like, the ringleader. These were all just a bunch of neighborhood, you know, little thieves that would break into stores and steal money. Yeah. And... Reese Ephens played Hook, and you know they all get, uh, you know they find the stone in the antique shop that transports them to Neverland, and then of course that's where they meet up with the pirate because you know Hook wasn't in charge of the pirates until later. It was a pretty cool origin story, and Bob Hoskins, of course, was Smee again. Oh, dude, I have to say, I'm sorry, I'm listening, but I'm reading at the same time. I did not know this. The movie went eight million dollars over budget because the director writer team uh, were married. And they would constantly get into arguments because they were both control freaks. And then they would go oh. off on their own and film stuff, and they wouldn't match. The scenes wouldn't match because one person would go off and direct this scene, the other person would direct this scene, and they both had different visions on how it should be done, and they had to edit that together. Holy shit. How is that even yeah. possible? Who produced this? Who put the money up and said, no, we'll keep it like this, instead of firing them and getting someone who could get it to go? Oh my god. Okay, so we should bring the so we should okay, the producers are definitely a huge blame. Okay, so let me see. Yeah, if you know something's going wrong, you fire them and bring in someone else who can finish the movie. Right. I like how they worked in how they worked in the bomb. That worked I that worked pretty well. Yeah, produced by Fred Caruso, Jake Ebert, Roland Joffe, and Brad Weston. Yeah. For the producers. Rough, man. Uh the only thing I, is this the one that had the Yeah, it does. Uh, is this the one that has a song, boom, boom, shaka-laka-laka-boom, boom, boom, shaka Yeah, it did the, the dinosaur song, and it also had a cover of a, it also had a, a cover, a, it also had a cover of a Love is the Drug by the Divinals. Ah, you know, there were uh, three dinosaurs, everybody's dinosaur crazy uh, during the summer of 93. We had Jurassic Park, of course, killing it. We had Super Mario Brothers, which died. And then we had Carnosaur, which is Roger Corman's version of Jurassic Park. Which is completely oh, wow. insane, which will come up in the next episode of Trash Cinema. <laughs> there right. is some batshit insane dinosaur movies out there. And most of them are kind of intentional, like they're like uh, direct-to-video or like, you know, low-budget fodder. But, you know, this was supposed to be the launch of a huge franchise. Yeah. Wow. Right. Sorry, I sneezed. <laughs> Surprised me. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, but I think it... It did miserable because a lot. Of, I think a lot of fans were really pissed off at the whole source material. Yeah, it's, it's and what they tried really, to do. I mean, they weren't even. There were no even clouds to float upon, and uh, the way they worked in the mushrooms, kind of stupid. All it was was just a shield. It didn't even turn them gigantic. 
And they also, there were no fire flowers. They just had flamethrowers. That's what, that was a normal gun for, you know, the cops and all the villains to have. And, oh, gosh, what else can I bash upon this? <laughs> you know, uh, I went and saw this in the theater when I was 16. And back then, my taste in movies wasn't very sophisticated. I just liked flashy stuff and lots of action. I remember walking out of this, looking at my best friend, going, what did we just watch? Was that a Mario right. Bros. movie? That's the problem. If you watch something that's based on some, like a, a, a certain material, pre-existing material, you should feel like, oh, well, that's that's what I into you know i'm a fan of this and uh, therefore the adaption of it is really close if you have people confused as to whether or not it's a true adaption then you've screwed up bad true also i mean if it was a if it wasn't super mario brothers i think this movie would have been cool by itself maybe but, but it's still it's a little incoherent but yeah if yeah if it had been its own uh it's still it would have been watchable it wouldn't have caused pain but i don't think it would have been yeah. a great movie by any it, means. it would have been an enjoyable film it would have been a favorite but uh, calling it super mario brothers I guess the way they try to work some things in was pretty cool, but it's still, it's just not Mario Brothers. All right, so our second movie is Double Dragon. Uh, the next year followed two fighting movies. Uh, this came out right before Street Fighter, about, I think, about three weeks before Street Fighter, and it just set in that trend of, oh, crap. Now, this one is insanely low budget. This is the kind of budget they give, uh, what's his name that does all the shitty uh, House of the Dead, you know, uh, Uwe Boll. Uwe Boll, yeah. It's the kind of the budget that he would have. Uh, it's only $7.8 million, and it shows. This movie just reeks of low budget and cutting corners and no-name actors. I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know how this movie was even in theaters. And as far as it goes, Mark Costco though. Oh, I think I remember yeah. something from something else, though. He's, oh, I, I love him. He's a great action star. Uh, Mark Costco's is... Uh, you know, his father was a legendary uh, teacher during the 60s and 70s. Um, Mark came up uh, through the director video ranks. He had done a couple movies, uh, like he did uh, uh, Angel Town with Olivia Gruner. He did uh, American Samurai with uh, one of the one of those martial arts guys. I can't remember his name all of a sudden. I feel embarrassed. Um, he also but, did a Jet Li movie called Cradle to the Grave, and he played Kung Lao in Mortal Kombat Legacy. Yeah, uh, I was kind of building up to that. Uh, sorry. Oh. Uh, so he did that, and then his breakout role was in Only the Strong. It's that martial arts movie with the capoeira, you know, the fighting dance kind of thing. Yeah. That movie bombed, even though I know a lot of people love it. I think it found its way on, like, cable and video. And then the next year, he did Double Dragon. He kept doing these things that you expected to be hits, and it just never happened. His success uh, for the mainstream never happened. The greatest American martial arts movie ever made, I think, in my opinion, uh, he starred in. It's called Drive. And it went straight to HBO, and it's truly one of the most astonishing pieces of work. Like, the design of fight sequences are amazing, and it went nowhere. He did a movie based on a, anime, or a, a manga called Crying Freeman. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Crying Freeman. Is it something like Grappler Baki? What's that? Is it something like Grappler Baki? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's like it's like kind of my type fighter named Baki who goes through all these really intense fighting tournaments and still wins even after... Oh, Some no, no. Crying Freeman, he's like an assassin. He rarely ever speaks and he has all these tattoos on his body, whatever. It's been a while since I've seen it. Oh, but, cool. Uh, he's supposed to kill this girl and he falls in love with her and then he has to go up against a rival clan. It's a really beautiful. It's not an intense movie. Like a lot of these uh, martial arts movies during the 90s were more about intensity. Um, this was more about beauty and violence combined. And uh, it was never released in America. It, it was a huge hit overseas, especially in France. It was a massive hit, 
And somehow, after 20 years, it's 20 years old this year, it's never been on video. Damn. And I don't know why. It's from the director of Brotherhood of the Wolf and uh, Silent Hill. And right. every, every time he's, he has a movie comes out, Christoph Gans, you think it's going to come out finally released, and no, it still has never been released, and it stuns me. But You know... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, you, you finish. But yeah, back to the point. Uh, Double Dragon is another one of those in a long line of could have been, should have been, and it doesn't happen for him. I was hugely disappointed. I was a huge Double Dragon fan growing up. I had it on Nintendo. That's where I first learned of it. Plus, you know, uh, they're both the Lee brothers, but, I mean, one's white and the other's Asian. I'm like, uh, was the mother white at least? I mean, do we even know that? No, we just know that their father was Chinese. Yeah, it's a little confusing about that. Was one of them adopted? I don't really know what's going on here. Yeah, no, they're twin brothers. That's the thing. Well, no, 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 no. They're not twins. Really? No, and the, yeah, in the original lore, they're twin brothers, oh, Billy and Jimmy Lee. Oh, they changed it for the movie? Yeah, they changed it for the movie, because in the original, and the original game didn't even have anything to do with any mysticism or medallion. It was about these guys beating up, like, you know, these street, these uh, street gangs. Yeah, I don't trying remember to save, being trying to save sort of Billy's like girlfriend. mythos or supernatural kind of elements to it, but yeah, the movie definitely switches the focus. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, it's cool that they introduce like some of the gang, the whole gang aspect, the different gangs, and then there's one gang that they do cooperate with, Power Core. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, the movie's like set in like post-apocalyptic, you know, kind of big earthquake that never happened in 2007 or before that. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, the uh, the post-apocalyptic qualities of it are a little strange. Uh, it's hard to do on a low, low budget. Seven point eight million is how much this cost, and it made two point three million. So obviously, things did not go it lost. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course not. I think they even took it off. It was on Netflix for a while, and they took it off because it must have been that bad. Yeah, I found it on uh, YouTube. Um, <laughs> yeah, me so too. Here's here's the thing: is the company that made it is Imperial, and they only ever had one other hit movie, it was uh, Nemesis, which two and a half million for a million dollar movie doesn't really count as a hit. Uh, they're a very strange company because they released a lot of their own stuff, which either got barely released or direct to video. But then they licensed out maybe four movies to Universal Studios and Gramercy. Gramercy was an offshoot of Universal Studios. Mostly, they were known for doing Mallrats. And oh, that's they, a classic. They, they shut down after like a couple of years. They never had a single hit movie. And yeah. Uh, also. Imperial was known for doing. They signed okay. They signed Van Damme really early on in his career, but he kept finding ways out of it, like delaying it. And then he finally had to, had to pay off his dues by doing that crappy um, sudden death, you know, the Die Hard in a hockey rink movie. Yeah. But this is another one of those where they they made it and they pawned it off. Right, and as far as like the rest of casting goes, like Robert Patrick, the T one thousand, you know, best known as the T one thousand. Yeah, I mean him being the main villain, yeah. Shuko. I was like, wait a minute, no, he's supposed to be Shadow Boss. He's supposed to be the one, yeah, he has control of all the gangs, but the way they try to incorporate him is kind of lame. You know, I but I liked him himself. I thought he was quite enjoyable. He was pretty lively for the movie. I think the, the, the lot of thing about the video game movies is that they usually have a very dark tone. Like, they're so self-serious that it's laughable. This one at least kind of has a sense of humor, a lightness to it, and, and, and despite yeah. the fact that they're in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, Robert I, Patrick did have a lively performance. I'll give him that. He was pretty cool. Yeah, he died. And then shock blonde. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to go with the whole LA look. Oh, doesn't Alyssa <laughs> Milano um, dye her hair too? Huh? Didn't Aly Alyssa Milano dye her hair? Or no, she just cut it off, right? Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah she did. She cut off her hair and she uh, dyed it that blonde. Yeah, because she's naturally a brunette. 
I know. It, honestly, she still looks the same. Yeah. She does not like she not age. She could still play that role if she could. <laughs> Which I hope she one, never does. There's that one section of the movie that drives me nuts because it's so punny, but at the same time, one of the few people that get it is towards the end of the movie, she's fighting this blonde lady, the villain, and she goes, uh, who's the boss now? And she goes, generally, I put people in the hospital. And I was like, wait, did you guys just make a general hospital joke? The reason is the villain, Christina Wagner, uh, she's Jack Wagner's wife. They were both on General Hospital together. So Alyssa Milano says, generally, I put people in the hospital. I remember laughing at yeah. that. I was like, that's a terrible pun, that, but it's funny. That was a, gener- that was a general hospital pun. Yeah, <laughs> and then, sure. of course, the who's the boss pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. I guess they were, like, kind of stabbing back and forth. They were, like, working off, they were, like, working off that to get that chemistry right for that scene. Yeah, did Plus, Scott, oh, Scott Wolf even know martial arts? Because I felt like every action sequence was a lot of doubles and stand-ins and uh, just bad movement. I, I, yeah, I honestly don't think he did. I mean, really, Mark DeCoscos was doing all his. And he was also, you know, Mark DeCoscos was also like a host of Iron Chef USA. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. He's been on uh, uh, Hawaii 5 for a while, too. Yeah. You know, I have to say, that's oh, a really yeah, solid that's dude. He sent me his autograph about 10 years ago. I still have it. It's, He's a, oh, sweet. He's, he's like one of those nice martial artists. A lot of them, like, they kind of get into their whole macho thing or whatever. They're ego freaks, like the way, you know, Steven Seagal is. And I always liked him because oh, yeah. he always seemed like a really generally nice guy. And uh, it was before, like, Facebook and MySpace and everything like that. And I was on his fan page, and I wrote him a, a letter out saying how much I enjoyed uh, a couple of his movies. And uh, he sent me his autograph. It's, uh, you know, the, the, did you ever know there was a Crow TV show? You know, the movie The Crow? That's Crow. Yes, yeah, I think there was, yeah, a brief uh, Crow TV show, and I think he starred in as the Crow. Yeah, he did. He was on it for one season, but he said the whole show was a nightmare because the Crow is a very dark subject, and it was supposed to be a mature, sophisticated show, something like between primetime television and like HBO, but oh, yeah. after the first six episodes, they were told by a lot of the networks, see, it was a syndicated TV show. And so sometimes it would air when it was supposed to air, like 10 o'clock on Saturdays or whatever, you know, at night. But it didn't? No, and then some stations would air it, like, right after cartoons. So you got, like, six-year-olds watching this show where people are dying and coming back to life. You know, it's like, you know, the, the crow was a really dark subject. And uh, he said they decided to cancel the show because they just couldn't water it down enough, you know. No, you can't water that down at all. If you're going to get something like that, you want to get it on a mature network. Yeah, but so, he, sent, yeah, me, he pretty much sent me a photograph with him and, and the crow pose in, the, in front of the window. It was cool. Yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. I mean, I love the crow. I love the first crow. The first crow was great. And then knowing about that TV show, I mean, I'm sure, like, was it a critical hit at uh, least? I think it was just kind of a cult hit. It just never found its ground because it had to water down so much stuff that it became kind of bland. And especially right. they said, you know what, let's just stop. But, you know, there's like three or four <sighs> times there where he was supposed another thing, though, Double Dragon was supposed to be a hit. Drive was supposed to be a hit. Brian Freeman was supposed to be a hit. And, uh, you know, even after Brotherhood of the Wolf came out, you know, and uh, everybody was talking about it, and it did well, he only ever did that Jet Li movie. He never really did anything else that... Trail to the Grave, yeah. Yeah, and that was the worst of the... the um, You know how Jet Li did, like, three or four movies right in a row? Where like, oh, it's a mid-budget... That was, like, of... one of the worst of his movies? Yeah, that was the worst. That was a terrible movie, except for the final I... action scene. DMX... DMX is just a terrible actor. Yeah. That's why he doesn't do yeah. movies anymore. I, yeah, no, uh, he could not drive the audience. It was all just hype just because he's in it. A lot of people are going to see it just because of that. He was pretty much a cash cow. Yeah, you know, And, of course, people love Jet Li, too. So, you know, but still, Jet Li, 
he backed up his performance and his actions. He knows he knows what to do. Yeah. And Mark Dacascos was a great villain, but still. Yeah. Well, he's also it was, it's hard, I was it's like, hard to accept uh, him as a villain though, because he is so nice. I mean, he can throw you off, but he's just a generally pleasant guy. So and. Uh, yeah. And the funny thing is, I was looking at the age of Mark Dacascos and Scott Wolf, and they're supposed to be playing teenagers. I kid you not. Uh, Mark was twenty nine, and Scott Wolf was twenty seven. Yeah, no, I think it was before Scott Wolf. Like I did, I think was in Party of Five. He was a uh, Jessica Beale, uh, Jessica Beale's uh, boyfriend, the model. No, wait, what what show? I think he was. In, I thought. Uh, I thought he. I thought he was in Party of Five. He yeah, was. Uh, he's the main. Ca- he's the main character in Party of Five. I don't remember Jessica Beale being on there at all. I know she was in Seventh Heaven. Seventh Heaven. Oh yeah, that's Seventh Heaven. Uh, that's right. No, whose boyfriend was he? I don't remember. I never watched Party of Five. There was Neff Campbell, Matt, Wol- or uh, what's the guy's name? Matthew. Matt. Matt Fox. Matt Fox, and then uh, I don't remember. Jennifer Lacey Shaver. Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> I have to thank someone else for telling me that. Jennifer Love Hewitt was Scott Wolf's girlfriend on that show. Right, and of course Lacey Shaver was in that as well. Yeah, a lot of that's funny. That show really had a lot of people come from that. Yes, it did. All right, but I think as we're for, kind yeah. of, I think we're kind of wandering here. Um, with Double Dragon, the other thing that I'll say that always bugged me was a Bobo. That is the single. Every, you know, every bad movie has a moment where it goes to ground zero, and you're like, "Fuck, what?" That is that mo- uh, that moment where you, you see a Bobo come out in this fake paper mache. I don't know what it was, but it looked bad and looked cheap. And, he looked uh, like a. I mean, he's supposed to be gigantic, yes, but. Not That's like a peanut. Re- just, it's like he had a peanut allergy and he just started swelling up. You're like, ah, it's gross. He did. He looked absolutely horrible. I don't know what the people were thinking on designing him like that, but I liked how they tried to incorporate the whole gangs, like the you know the diverse gang, um, <clears throat> the whole di- uh, diverse gang spectrum where you know each had their own look. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like you had all these clowns here. You know, kind of like you know the diversity that you'd see in uh, the diversity you'd see in the Warriors. Oh, Something yeah, like that. That's funny. I just watched the Warriors. There, there, there is a bare bones uh, good idea for a different movie, but it's not Double Dragon. That's not a Double Dragon movie. Just like Mario Brothers, it feels like someone just took an old script and slapped in. Oh well, this part will write this character and this character. It's just, uh, it's, it's a half made movie. Mysticism. And the budget is way too tiny for it. Um, oh yeah, I know. I mean, if they were to bring it back, please let it be about like this hardcore gang kind of, you know. Not exactly like you know, gang-ridden kind of you know setting. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> kind of like a movie like, right now called Kung Fury. Uh, it's like a that's exactly what I was just about to mention. Oh, you something like it? Kung Fury. Yeah, it should look like Kung Fury. Yeah, it I have not like watched Kung it yet, Fury, but I've yet to. Give those. Give I mean, those it's got guys whole ten million to go do it again. Exactly. I mean, you know, plus the recent video game that they made of Double Dragon. I mean, you know, it just was pretty much this huge homage to the eighties. Like, if you look at the visuals of it, it it's all neon. It's called Double Dragon Neon. Oh, it's I just like this. so bright. Oh, I know it's great. It's great. I think it's great to look at. They should have that kind of setting, that kind of look. I would love to watch that. But as far as casting goes, you need to you need to cast actual twins. Well, I mean, like, you can't really exactly place one person and then have it like double screened, like Army Hammer and you know Social Network or Lindsay Lohan and uh, Parent Trap. Okay, yeah, that I can see. Because so you're not gonna find a whole lot of twins out there that are great actors. Uh, maybe, just maybe like with the, you could have had Jeremy and Jason London. They're not that great. They're okay, but I mean, you know. But they come on, please let the and please let them be Asian too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No more whitewashing. All right, so I think that's it for trash cinema here. Uh, next week we'll probably torture ourselves with a couple other dinosaur movies. 
And uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro True. Rocket Entertainment. You'll find all the episodes of Trash Cinema, Back to Tunes, and all of our other shows. That have, uh, we have a lot of fun just reviewing things and discussing them. Right. And as far as the whole like twin perspective, it's kind of like what they do with Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone and Armando Santi. Oh, yeah. They kind of look like twins, but not really. Yeah, it's good. We should do that. We should do Judge Dredd for Trash Cinema. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, have I seen that movie too many times. All right, Jacob, you uh, all good? Yes, I'm good. I think I've said. I think we've, you know, vented and talked about how shitty those movies are, and that we do not recommend either of them. No, I'm sorry. Usually, we recommend at least one. Not both these. Nope. Just it's complete piles of shit. You should like if you dig into the deepest part of your ass, it that's what you'll find. <laughs> those two movies. It's like a cinematic colonic. Pretty <laughs> much. Know, man. I think we grossed everybody out, and we should probably go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Alright, welcome everybody to Trash Cinema. I'm your host, Michael, my co-host. Jacob, hey, how y'all doing? You might notice that we actually skipped our normal theme for Trash Cinema because this week we wanted to pick something kind of unusual. So we went with the theme song from Street Fighter 2. Guile's theme, I guess, is actually the technical name. Is there a different, is Guile's theme, Street Fighter 2 theme, totally different? Uh, yes, they are, actually. You know, Street Fighter could have, it's a completely different song, but, you know, Guile's theme, it just goes with everything. <laughs> and I, I just found it just now. And the reason we brought that up is because we're going to be talking about two video game movies that uh, one is horribly hated, just unbelievably hated, and the sequel even more so. And then a movie that at the time I thought was totally kick-ass, and uh, now not so much, the sequel sucked ass. We're talking about Street Fighter the movie and Mortal Kombat. Uh, I guess oh, we should God. start with Street Fighter. The, uh, oh, God, I don't know what to say about Street Fighter, because even, even when it came out... And I, let me tell you this, I was so excited, we all piled into the truck, literally, there was too many of us to go, so we had people sitting on top of other people's laps, and drove for a half hour like this, to the next city, to watch Street Fighter. This is back in the day when the town I lived in only had one screen, so you had to go out of town for almost everything. Oh, gosh. We were so excited, and, and of course, this is Red Hot Van Damme, he had just come off of uh, Time Cop, his biggest hits. And everybody was crazy for that one. And he got offered $8 million for Street Fighter. And everybody was really revved up. The game was huge. This thing was epic. The only thing bigger was Mortal Kombat. And then we saw the movie. And I didn't know how to process it properly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Especially at the end when they all did their, like, victory poses. Oh, jeez. Oh, all the pain. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people said it is. But also, I have to admit to... A huge Van Damme fan, so I give him a lot of leeway for the most ridiculous shit ever. He has made, of all those action stars, he has made the most bonkers shit you've ever seen. Doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's bad, it's just insane if you think about the plots. And this is one where it should have been a little more clear cut on being a, a, a popular popcorn film, but it's still, it's bonkers. It's, I know, it's way too much, it's just awful. So awful. They cluttered in, They added in way too many characters. There wasn't enough depth. It was a huge mess. 
I'm surprised it's still. Go ahead. I'm surprised. It even I'm surprised it, you know, it was even still made. Uh, you know, this is a time where I think they just looked at who was involved and they didn't really think. I also think that even today, a lot of the video games, movies, the adaptations, the the people who are backing it don't give a shit. They just oh, this is this is marketable. This is something that will bring people in, and they rarely ever are successful because critics hate them, the fans hate them, and they never make a profit. Oh no, no, they didn't at all. I'm not. I'm. I mean, I'm not too surprised. Although who, oh God, who? And plus, it was Raul Julia's last film. Yeah, it's a, it's a, not a good thing to go out on. Though he is very, very entertaining in this. Oh yeah, no, he got he won a Saturn Award for playing in Bison, but sadly, <laughs> it was such a horrible movie. Yeah, he uh, he's given it everything he has. It's like he knows how theatrical and outrageous it is, and he plays it to the hilt. But he is almost the only one here that seems to get it. You know, that seems to understand what is going on. And, you know, uh, I have to commend him for that, for getting the tone right. Right. And in every scene, he wore that hat. He never took it off. And it really stayed true to the video game. Because yeah. his hat, even when you beat the crap out of him, never came off. Um, but, you know, they offered, also, they I... offered Mortal Kombat to Van Damme first. And I think there was some confusion with... Like, he was mad that they kind of did a character like him, and he didn't want to be part of Johnny Cage, even though it's kind of based on him. And then the eight... I mean, how do you turn down $8 million? I think they were only going to give him, like, three for uh, Mortal Kombat. And I will say this, Street Fighter at least looks like it costs a good amount. Mortal Kombat, not so much. It, it hasn't aged that well. Really? Uh, Mortal Kombat, it still, it still looks great to me. I mean, plus, like, it all fit... Well, I, realizing how Goro was... Mainly just, you know, actual, like, animatronics and puppetry. Yeah. Rather than just a giant guy in a suit. Yeah, this one, it, it has uh, Blanca, and he looks just fucking insane. That That is one of the weirdest designs. I mean, I know he's a hard thing to bring to real life, but you look at it going, you guys, no, that, all right, is it a hawk with a bad wig? I don't know what you're trying to attempt here, but it looks bonkers. Oh, it did. But also, uh, when it came to... Uh, Oh, yeah, Wes Tootie played Sagat, which was kind of different. I mean, Wes Tootie's, you know, Native, like, you know, always been known to play, like, Native Americans in almost every movie. Last of the Mohicans, uh, Dances with Wolves. Oh, gosh, what else is he in? Uh, Deep Rising. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that just, oh, Mystery Man? Oh, yes, that's right. He was the Sinks in Mystery Man. Yeah, he, he's, uh, the, my problem with Native Americans in movies is they always treat them like there's these noble like uh, very stoic, one-liner kind of guys that don't know how to talk properly. I've been around Native Americans. They're just like you and me. I mean, they, they talk like normal people. They act like normal people. And I wish that the movie would just cast a Native American and they have him just be who he is instead of just like, well, this has to be extremely important. And uh, I was like, dude, he's just another guy, man. Just cool it. I know. He's a human being. Treat him like it. Sorry. I hate. I, I realize that I'm wiggling in my chair a lot. I apologize. My shoe is too tight. Uh, it's killing me. <laughs> That's, That's all right, man. Uh, here's the one thing I wanted to play from the movie. Van Damme, of course, is a star. He's the big person to bring them all in. Even though I don't really think it was even necessary to cast a star because the movie itself is the star. That's what they did with Mortal Kombat. There's no names in Mortal Kombat, and they saved themselves a lot of money. And I think it was a big mistake. As much as I love Van Damme, he's not correct for Guile, even though he is the only character he could possibly play where it even makes a slight bit of sense. 
But um, the most ridiculous part of the movie for me is when he has his big rousing speech that is almost completely incoherent. And I want to play it real quick. Do you mind? Yeah, go right ahead. All right. This is the most garbled, weird, nonsensical bullshit. Hold on, let me play it for a second. Um, yeah, I forgot I must turn it up first. But yeah, this, and, and of course, Van Damme, obviously, he's not from America, so it's going to be a little difficult. But this, the Stephen E. D'Souza was a really great writer, a shitty director, and uh, he should have known better and cut some of this nonsense. Here we go. Oh, you've lost your balls. Colonel Guile. Deliver these instructions to your troops. Then consider yourself relieved of your command. Troopers, I just received new orders. Our superiors say the war is canceled. We can all go home. Bison is getting paid off for his crimes. And our friends who have died here will have died for nothing. But we can all go home. Meanwhile, ideals like peace, freedom, and justice, they get packed up. But we can all go home. Well, I'm not going home. I'm going to get on my boat, and I'm going up river, and I'm going to kick that son of a bitch bison's ass so hard that the next bison wannabe is going to feel it. Now, who wants to go home, and who wants to go with me? tell that he struggled the entire way trying to get that speech out. You, I bet you there was a thousand takes. I'm pretty sure there was. It's like, oh. no, you, that's not even a word, Van Damme. I'm going to do it again. And he's like, yeah, it's 80 takes. I can't, I can't do anymore. And uh, here's the thing is, who exactly does he fight for? Is it United Nations? Or is it just, uh, I don't understand who their little super group is. Because I don't yeah, think no, the like, United Nations works like that. I don't think they have an international... It's not like G.I. Joe. No, they don't. They don't have a military. And it's not explained. And also, it's not explained that this is a top-secret group or this is a special group that the United Nations put together. It's just, I guess we have an international flavor here. We're going to get a bunch of people together to fight. And I'm like, I don't understand how this works. Who's in charge? <laughs> exactly. Plus, the whole concept of Street Fighter, it's like it started out as like, you know, this underground street fighting ring yeah. that, eventually, that was, of course, being run... By you know M Bison because he had a like a big a big undercover uh, organization. Yeah, so oh, I don't gosh. know if, if Stephen D'Souza thought, well, that's too low rent because that's too close to being like all the other fighting movies that Van Damme's done or Enter the Dragon, and he's like, well, let's make this more of like a James Bond high concept adventure movie. That I don't have a huge problem with, but you're right, it's not really that close to the game, and I don't get it. I know it's like Ryu and Ken. Weren't, were never arms dealers or any of that, or into smuggling. You know, I that's ridiculous. Enjoy, I enjoy uh, their performance. I think that's uh, Damien Chapa and, uh, oh, crap, I can't remember his name, the sniper too, but those two guys, they're really enjoyable. Um, I like that part, and I like, who is it they're fighting with the mask? I haven't played Street Fighter in forever. Vega. 
Vega. He was awesome. I like him a lot. The rest of it is touch and go. I mean, I kind of like uh, the sumo guy and the boxing guy. Wow, it really has been a long time since I played this game. That sucks. Yeah, I know. Like, honestly, they, they honestly, they mashed, they tried to introduce too many characters. Miguel Nunez Jr. as DJ, uh, that was pretty spot on. But some of the guys that were in there, the, char- the these big characters, never fought. Dalsim didn't fight at all. He was never a professor or a, a scientist. Wait, DJ it's- is in the game? Yeah, DJ's in one of the games. He's in Super Street Fighter 2, the new uh, oh, fighters. Okay, okay. I was like, I don't remember that character. And then there was T-Hawk, and they put T-Hawk in there. They introduced too much. And as far as casting goes, yeah, only Raul Julia and Ming-Na Wen were, were noticed. And Ky- and Australian sensation Kylie Minogue. Yeah, during that downtime between hit songs. Like, she had done her little peak in the late 80s, and then not so much in the early 90s. By the early 90s, she was pretty much nowhere when it came to her music, so she started doing acting. She's in this, and I think she's in Biodome and a couple others. And, uh, yeah. and then, of course, she became a huge sensation again 10 years later. Although I'm glad they, ca- I'm glad they did cast... Uh, Byron Mann is uh, Ryu, though. That was Thank pretty... That was Byron Mann. I couldn't remember his name. It's like a tool when I can't do that. Um, yeah, it's one of those movies that's too much going on. None of it really works. And the tone, the tone of the movie is um, tongue-in-cheek. It kind of disrespects the game and the fans when it does that. Uh, yes, Mortal it Kombat's me off. a little... Back a little Mortal Kombat's a little too serious, but Street Fighter just plays it full camp, and I don't like that. No, it didn't, and it's 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 a shame that Raul Julia's last film had to be that piece of crap. Even though he gave great performance, you know, as a great villain, had that evil laugh and everything. It's just as far as physical stature, going up against someone like uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, he had to hide. He had to wear like puffed up suits. <laughs> uh, I cannot recommend this one. I no, I I wish it was never made or The Legend of Chun Li. Yeah, Chun-Li I mean, is even worse. They said, oh, we're going to correct all the mistakes we made with the first movie. The only thing they changed... No, you didn't. Was, no, the only thing they changed was take out the camp. But it still sucks. It's still just... Oh, like, no. No. Bad plot delivery. I mean, Kristen Crook is Chun-Li. Uh, what were they even thinking? I have... To this day, I have no idea... Robin, Robin Show was great as... Again. Uh, Neil McDonald is not bad, but still, it just wasn't strong enough for me. So I say no to both sequels. Or both the sequel and the original. Yes, oh, go please find burn the them. Cartoon. Go find the animated movie and the cartoon. The animated movies. Yeah. yeah, the animated movies and the cartoons were spot on. Those were perfect. All right, so our second movie. Like yeah, or they could have been they could have been box office bombs, but they were you know critically quite fantastic and or uh, cult favorites. Yeah, so Trash Cinema is, is kind of a wide array. I mean, some people might think that we're just going to rip apart movies. 
Uh, for me, Mortal Kombat was another one of those where we had to go see it opening weekend. We went and saw a double feature of this and Desperado. Both I thought were the most amazing things I've ever seen. But I realized as time goes on, you know, I've I've kind of grown out of that genre, so I've realized now Desperado is almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon, extreme violence. And Mortal Kombat, to me, has not aged as well as I thought it would. Uh, especially, I think part of it is because the CGI looks so insanely bad. Um, and, and that, and there isn't as plot as, uh, much plot as I wanted it to be. But it is still light years ahead of Street Fighter because it respected where it came from. And that's the, the best thing you do with video games Find the origin of where it comes from and respect it. Take the elements people love and, and don't mock it. Oh, precisely. No, I mean, I kid you not, the visuals of Outler, Outworld were absolutely perfect and so spot on. Yeah, but loved it. Like, absolutely. One CGI loved sequence it. I couldn't stand is there's like a little, I can't remember now, it's been about a year since this thing. There's like a little rat dog thing. You know, like this little CGI creature that they grabbed that looks just like hell. Oh, gosh. Reptile? Yeah, and, uh, I forgot yeah. what it was. Um, that there's a there's a few movies from New Line Cinema around that time where the special effects were just insanely bad. Did you see Spawn? Oh my gosh! As a kid, I thought it was cool. Looking back at it now, I'm like, why? Yeah, Malboja looks like shit. It looks like it cost a buck fifty, and I'm like, this is an expensive studio film. What's going on here? That looks like <laughs> shit. And that little monkey thing from Lost in Space. Do you remember that? They had like a little oh monkey they discovered. That looked like hell. That looked so bad. It makes Jar Jar look like mm, Master Rook. <laughs> oh, so Jar Jar was just awful. Yeah, if you hear anything. Oh my gosh. I was. <laughs> what I was going to suggest when we did the uh, Mortal Kombat um, theme song, I was thinking way back to the original, very first video game theme song. But that oh. works too. You know, this is the one I but think, hey, we're talking about the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're talking about the movie, but this is also something I think became synonymous with Mortal Kombat. It's this theme song because it became so popular. Yes, uh, there is the original game. Now, how old were you when the game came out? When did it come out? Like, 94, 92? No, I think it was 92. The, first, the video game uh, in the arcades came out in 92. I think in 93 it came to home consoles. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I was four or five years old. Re wow, there's a bigger age difference than I thought between us. Um, I was uh, 15, and oh, wow. it was in arcades, and you could play it, you know, no one really noticed, but when it came to home consoles, we went apeshit. That's when that, the whole debate of whether or not we should do ratings on video games, and here's the thing, is I'm going to burn some bridges here, but movies, games, music, you know what, I have no problem with them being rated. Now, banned is a different thing. You cannot ban art, it, unless it's uh, illegal actions, you know? But uh, something that shows blood in it, uh, or gore, or sex, or you know, something, something like that language, yes, um, it should be rated. There's a certain audience that uh, this is aimed at, and children should not be playing it. It should be more for the high school and older age. And people are so pissed. They thought their freedom of speech getting stepped on. It's not. Adding a rating does not mean that we're banned. It's insane. I don't know. My parents let me play it. Yeah. They didn't care. I, I don't understand why some people. I, I don't understand why some parents don't care. When I was selling Call of Duty to a six-year-old, and I said, "This is a mature game. It's blood and gore. I don't give a shit." And I just questioned people's parenting skills. I'm like, seriously, could you just wait a few years longer? Um, just because when they're that young, I don't know how that's gonna affect their minds. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, whatever. There's only so much we can do, Michael. Yeah. Oh, one thing I did want to say about Street Fighter. I think really people were really pumped up to see how their powers were gonna display, but we really couldn't. Because of you know the lack of technology, you couldn't really show all the Hadouken fireballs you wanted or the 
sonic booms or spinning kicks that Chun Li would do. Now, are we talking in the movie or in the games? Oh, in the movie. Yeah, CGI wasn't that that, or they just want to spend the, the money on the CGI. I mean, obviously Terminator Two existed, so you can do crazy stuff with CGI in 1991. But I just don't think the studios had the money or the faith. I think Mortal Kombat, the first one, only cost seventeen million dollars. So they could only handle like a few special effects. And right. what they had, they spent wisely. But I, I do wish I could have seen some more. But man, you know the one thing we never got to see in a Mortal Kombat movie was fatalities. We never got to see a fatality, and I think I, that hurt a lot of people. Like, uh, uh, who, I mean, not hurt, but I mean, like, we're just aching for one of those. But you just can't pull that off in a beach movie. You have to go R. Sadly, no, you couldn't. I mean, everything else worked, but, you know, we can't really see someone get their spine ripped out or, you know, be burned alive right in front of them. You just hear Shang Tsung steal someone's soul and say fatality. Yeah, and that's pretty low rent. That's 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 all you could get. Yeah. That's that's like the way uh, you you see the movie The Phantom. Yes. You know, that's the same character, Hiroko Tagawa. Uh, same kind of mentality. It's like all these guns are going off, but people are just getting shot in the hands. I'm like, uh, all right, I guess you're going for the PG, not even PG-13. All right, that's crazy. But uh, suck. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. Um, Mortal Kombat. Uh, the game itself was insanely hard, and I never understood how my friend TJ. He would he pumped almost every single cent he had into the arcade version, and he would have oh, every God. move down. And uh, he would give me a quarter to play, and then I'd be like, I only know how to do, like, Liu Kang, you know, like, uh, forward, forward punch, forward, forward kick, you know? I never knew how to do the up, down, left, right, left, right, circle, circle, A, B, and then all of a sudden you're ripping someone's spine. You know, oh, his head just tore off. How did you do that? Exactly. Oh, no, or then there was Raiden doing the whole, like, teleport, or the flying attack. Yeah. Do you remember so. the, uh, then it got kind of crazy. I think there was like animalities where they turn them into animals and then like, I think there's... And they like, eat you or stuff, yeah. Yeah, wasn't there like an infantality or something like that? Babality. Babality, infantality. That probably would have been horrifying. Oh, he turned then there was into, friendship. Yeah, it's just strange. They had all these crazy things for a while in the games. Like they were running out of <laughs> ideas. Ed Boone was a creative man, but I think towards the end he was like, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, they're smart enough to change the game. I, I like the Justice League versus Mortal Kombat game a lot. That one was really good. Although I will say, like about the movie, the plot, yeah. it did like it did stay true to like the origin. I mean, Liu Kang was in it to, you know, he to represent the Shaolin Temple. But yes, also was to get revenge on Shang Tsung because Shang Tsung killed his brother. Yeah, the uh, the plot is a little bit like the essence of Enter the Dragon. Like it just takes the bare bones of Enter the Dragon. A lot of people say it was a ripoff, but it's just bits and pieces. And a lot no, no, no. Of, a lot of movies, it wasn't influenced. Yeah. A lot of movies ripped off End of the Dragon, like, deliberately, everything. This one Ex- took, like, the general concept of it. Any any fight tournament movie is going to be kind of like End of the Dragon, so. Right, yes, but it's just, you know, another dimension will be allowed to invade and, you know, claim Earthrealm for itself after after ten victories in that tournament. Yeah. You know, I thought everybody from this movie was going to be huge. The movie made a ton of money. And it was the first, video, oh, yeah. the first successful video game movie because Mario Brothers and uh, Double Dragon, which will be on another episode, and uh, Street Fighter all kind of ate it. Street Fighter made its money back eventually on video, but Mortal Kombat just killed <laughs> video. it. it. Yeah, it, it oh, really my God. made a huge profit. And I thought Robin Shaw, Lyndon Ashby, and what's the girl's name? I can't remember from Billy Madison. Or, hey, Bridget Wilson. Bridget Wilson. I thought they were going to be huge. And none of them really broke out. Bridget Wilson did a couple decent movies afterwards, but Robin Shaw disappeared after the second movie. 
and Linda oh, no, Ashby uh, wanted to do TV, and he wasn't even in the sequel. Oh, no, he wasn't. But, no, uh, Robin Show, he was in uh, Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley. Yeah, but that was between the two Mortal Kombats. After that, he just disappeared for a really long time, and then all of a sudden showed up, I think, in another video game movie called uh, Dead or Alive. Is that the one thing of the girl? Sure, alive. He had a small part. Yeah. Of course, also by Paul, Paul, Paul Wes Anderson, Paul W. S. Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, the first movie. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, they did stay. You know, it's he. Uh, when it comes to like adapting, you know, video games to movies, he did get it right with the first Mortal Kombat. You yeah, know, he, especially the bringing these characters. He's a director who a lot of people hate, but I actually commend him for some of the risks he takes. Um, he did uh, Mortal Kombat, then he went to do Event Horizon, which is a balls-out, crazy, crazy sci-fi movie, which uh, still terrifies the crap out of me, but was not successful. He did Soldier with Kurt Russell, which I thought was pretty cool. It was like a Western in space. Also lost shitloads of money. In fact, it was so unsuccessful that Kurt Russell disappeared for three years because of it. Um, then he did Resident Evil, made it good chunk of cash and that became like his focus for a while he did death race he did aliens versus predator and he did uh, that was all. Uh, the shitty three musketeers you know and uh. Uh, he, he's kind of for every success he has he has an unsuccessful movie so he's kind of a frustrating director and i imagine he's probably irritated too because like damn it i know i mean he i mean they're done with the resident evil this lex resident evil movie is going to be the last one yeah and, and i do uh, have to say in each each one of those movies. Pompey lost a shitload of cash. Three Musketeers lost a shitload of cash. The dude doesn't have much oh. on his plate besides more or, uh, Resident Evil. Yeah, I know. Also, yeah, that pretty much almost all those movies starred his wife, Mila Jovovich. Yeah. Who? But that? also, as far as huh. now, as far as it goes for um, the actual Mortal Kombat movie, I think like casting was well done, except for Christopher Lambert. I did, I did not think he was right as Raiden. I love Christopher Lambert because you're right. In fact, both times they've cast Raiden, they've been wrong because you know the second movie, the the hideous piece of crap that it is. Um, Kevin James playing uh, Ajax from the Warriors played Raiden. Wait, yeah, that's who played Raiden. Say that. The again? second movie. No, it was Ajax. James, it was James, Warriors. James Ramar played. Wait. James Ramar. James Ramar played. God, what did I say? Who the hell's Kevin James? Kevin James is from King of Queens. That's where you confuse the shit out of me for a second there. I was like, what? Oh, that Oh, that guy? Oh, shoot. I don't know. Well, I don't know why. Well, James. Well, it had James in his name. I was yeah, wrong. Was I'm James, sorry. Yeah, James Remar. I'm from sorry, Queen James Remar. Warriors. Uh, the director had never directed anything before in his life. He was just uh, one of those guys that did director photography or stunt. I think it was John. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. John Leonetti, I think. And uh, so he had yeah. never handled a movie before. There was a thousand characters. Um, they replaced Sonya with a really shitty actress. Uh, Bridget Wilson had nothing to do with it. Uh, they killed off Johnny Cage, who was the best character in the original. He, uh, I know people love Robin Shaw, and he's really good. But Lyndon Ashby is so charismatic in that first movie that when he's killed off in the second one, uh, mind you, it's a different actor. Uh, it was just automatically I was pissed. Like five minutes into the yeah. movie, he killed the best guy. And, that actually uh, happens in the video games. Johnny Cage does get killed. Oh, really? All right. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we don't have uh, Kerry Hiroko Tagawa as a villain, who's a great actor. They replace him with Brian Thompson, who's okay, but he's not really a lead villain. He's just kind of like one of those guys that comes in, does his stuff, and dies. He's yeah, like, he's just a support. He's a supporting role. Yeah, he's supporting. But he's as far as yeah. plus Kerry Hiroko Tagawa, Shang Tsung, he was killed in the first one. Yeah. So and, just the charismatic level of the villain just kind of dropped too. And 
which was a bit of a change because um, Shang Tsung in the actual, like in the actual game, no, he was defeated. Goro was the champion, and Goro lost. And then, of course, Shang Tsung, you know, invited, you know, he did challenge and he did fight Liu Kang, but Liu Kang beat him, and Shang Tsung retreated to Outworld. Yeah. And then to inform Shao Kahn that he failed. And so Shao Kahn decides to break the rules and invade Earthrealm, which he does. Yeah, I don't understand why a white guy is playing that, but whatever. Um, also, Shao Kahn wasn't exactly human. Oh, okay. Yeah, the thing is, there was like a thousand characters. There's no char- There's no actual characterization. There's hardly any dialogue that makes any sense, because it's usually just shitty one-liners, and just, it just the, the, you know, one thing gets you to another. There's nothing that actually gives you any development. And yeah. it, it, the action is insane. I love it. The action part, too much I don't care about the plot. I don't care about anybody that's on the screen. It's just one of those movies where you're just like, fucking end already. Just wrap this up because... I know. Ugh. Oh, gosh. No, I will say, though, about the first one, it's cool how they brought in Sub-Zero and Scorpion, but they were never allies. No. Scorpion wanted revenge on Sub-Zero. We didn't see that at all. He was just... They were just uh, Shang Tsung slaves. Yeah. Um, which was weird. The one thing I do have to be grateful for the movie, and the only thing I'm really grateful for the movie, is the fact that it, uh, it brought Ray Park to the U.S. And, uh, you know, he played Raiden. He did the stunts for Raiden. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Um, Ray Park. I guess yeah. That, yeah, he played Raiden. He did all these flips and stuff like that. And I guess somehow that that um, footage and his audition tape made it to George Lucas, who auditioned for Darth Maul, and there we go. And then he became Toad in the first X-Men movie, yeah. Ray Park, he's a, he's a great stunt guy. He was also the, uh, you know, the Headless Horseman when he didn't have a head in the oh, Tim Burton movie. Right, yeah. And Apollo, yeah. You know, but he, but also, like I said, he also played one of the main villains in one of the shittiest videos. Why is it fighting games uh, are the worst of the worst? And there's so many of them. Because that King of Fighters movie sucks ass. Tekken sucks ass. DOA, big old sucker ass. Like, these movies are terrible. They made a Tekken and King of Fighters movie? Yeah. You didn't know this? They must have been that bad. They came out within the last few years. They both went straight to video. There, in fact, I think there's a Tekken 2 uh, coming to uh, video real soon. Yeah, Tekken looks looks like it had a decent budget, but it is ass. And the King of Fighters looks like it costs, I think, what my paycheck is. It's real low budget. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad, bad. Oh, that's awful. Although, Mortal Kombat getting live action, it's coming back in defiance in those web shows. Yeah, those are actually really good. The work that they're doing on the shorts, um, you know, which essentially become like one huge movie, is actually quite good. What is that called again? Mortal Kombat? Uh, not Kombat. Or is it Legacy? What's that? Legacy. Legacy, yeah. The Conquest TV show it actually isn't that bad. It's not great, but it's not that bad. But the Conquest, or the uh, Legacy, is actually where you really get down to the nigga. It's rated R. It's great actors, great action. And uh, sadly, Darren Shivali, um, who played the villain in the first... Who's the one with the cyborg eye again? Kano. Kano. He played Kano in uh, the Legacy series. He passed away in December. He's only 43, and he had a heart attack. Dang. Yeah, he just pushed himself so much to be the best. And I think that, he's, and they haven't really said, but some guys who push themselves to be the absolute perfect martial artist or perfect whatever, uh, they don't rest. And I think that his heart just didn't get enough rest and it gave out. Just like the way that uh, Bruce Lee ended up having like an embolism pushed himself way too hard. And he, uh, crazy. Sadly, yes. I know. And also the, the, the actor who played Kano in the first uh, Mortal Kombat movie, he That's, passed away too. I like, forgot. 2013. He killed himself, right? No, he didn't. No, Trevor Goddard. I thought Trevor Goddard committed suicide. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Yeah, you're probably wrong about that. Yeah, I could always look it up. Yeah. Um, the, I will say this. The cartoon, we did an episode last year of it. Huge hit. And it's actually a really great cartoon. And uh, we also did the very, got one. the very first podcast that we ever did was uh, uh episode of Cult Status where we decided to do commentary tracks for movies that had no commentary. And we were stunned to discover that Mortal Kombat had no commentary track. So the very first episode that we ever did was the movie. So check it out. Everything is up on Retro Rocket Entertainment. And uh, Trevor Goddard, he died of a drug overdose. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was a That's great actor. Sad. Very charismatic. Lots of energy. Just so much with the actor's works in the first movie that doesn't work whatsoever in the second movie and uh i think that's where the problem lies and that's why the second one just sucks right. public butt and although talisa soto as katana that was different i mean that thing that i think that was a good role for her yeah that wasn't bad that's for sure it got her no 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 and plus you know katana she did play off you know very mysterious katana did come off as mysterious she didn't really know anything about her other than she was ten thousand years old uh-huh. and yeah up until like you find out like you know about her family and that you know, she's the Emperor's adopted daughter. Uh, yeah, you couldn't really figure her out. Or her intentions. Really quiet. That's the thing about, you know, having a silent part. More mis- <clears throat> Less well-known. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I think it pretty much wrapped it up with these two movies. This, um, I, I say yes to Mortal Kombat, no to Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah, no. Uh, forget Mortal Kombat 2 even existed. The yeah. first one I, was just really spot on. The action, I thought, was really well-paced, very well-choreographed. But Bridget like you know, Wilson is not, really not a fighter. She her action sequences aren't that good. No, that was hard to watch. I'm like, yeah, that was probably not her. All right, so I wanted to play a track as we head out here. Um, this is from Street Fighter. That the, the for some reason they thought the album was going to be huge. They got all these rappers together to make tracks for the album. Now the Mortal Kombat album was oh. huge. This we found this by accident. Uh, the football player Dion Sanders, uh, for a brief moment, was going to be a rapper. And uh, he does a song with MC Hammer for the, for the, uh, it's so hard to not laugh at this, the Street Fighter soundtrack. So um, this is Michael signing off. All right, this is Jacob. All right, Have a good night, everybody. Let's head out with some ridiculous nonsense. Here we go. Trash Cinema. Welcome everybody to another episode of Trash Cinema. I'm your host Michael. My guest this week is Tony. Hello, it's Tony. Hey, so this week we saw. Hey, you know what? Jurassic World is coming out. We should pick two dinosaur movies that are pretty crappy, and we have a. There actually is a pretty decent selection of crummy, half-assed dinosaur movies out there. You know, especially in the direct-to-video world, or Sci-Fi Channel seems to barf out some sort of dinosaur mutation movie, like Dino Shark or what is it, Croctopus or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so we're digging through. We found two that were absolute disasters. They're kind of epic in their, oh, you know, I can't even think of a proper adjective or descriptive term of any kind to talk about these movies. So I'm just going to throw them out there. We're going to talk about Carnosaur. What the hell is it? Looks like some kind of lizard. The earth was not made for us. She was made for the dinosaurs. The earth was scaled to their dimensions. Human beings are ants crawling.
falling through their living rooms. That's, that's really fabulous. Like a great theme park. And Theodore Rex. The future's toughest cop is Katie Coltrane. And now, she's getting a new partner. His name is Teddy. Hit me. It's a dinosaur. You two have solved this case together. What? What? It's a dinosaur. New partner, Coltrane? He's got the style. He's got the charm. And he's got the appetite. You cannot eat our only suspect. To come out on time. I'm amazing. New Line Cinema presents Whoopi Goldberg. Can you just slide your butt? And introducing Teddy, Theodore Rex. It's a tale you'll never forget. And what were the what was the phrase you said right before we went on air about these movies? So these two movies, I honestly never knew that two movies could be so bad for two completely different reasons. Yeah, yeah, somehow they're kind of on the same topic. Dinosaurs. I should say this real quick. I'm stunned. Jurassic World is now the number one movie uh, opening of all time. It passed Avengers this morning by $1.5 million. You know, I want to say a part of it is because of the old love of Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park sequels, but really, I think the real meat of the matter is is that everyone wanted to see what Chris Pratt was doing next. Yeah, that and dinosaurs never stop being popular. That's uh, And that kind of like opens up a whole field because you know there's going to be another wave of direct-to-video rip-offs now. We're going to have the return of, Car- we're going to have Carnosaur World. You just know something like that's going to be coming from Roger Corman. Okay, so Carnosaur. Roger Corman produced this and released it in theaters roughly a month before Jurassic Park, two weeks before Mario Brothers, which I kind of considered a dinosaur movie, would you? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. This one has roughly, I, I did the budget count. Okay, so Jurassic Park cost $65 million. Carnosaur cost $1.4 million. That's what, a 25th, 125th, 130th of the budget? And it shows. Holy crap. That's still, that's still a pretty good budget for the type of movie that it is and the era that it was produced in. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is Roger Corman never spent more than $2 million on any of his movies. And that was uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. So he's really, really frugal. Uh, there's lots of puppet going on. A lot of miniatures. There's uh, And weird lighting. You ever notice uh, late 80s, early 90s, they always have this scene where they're in a room that has kind of like a neon glow to it where there's a bunch of like executive business guys talking. I was like, yeah. you, you guys have your, you need to work on your lighting in your office because this is really bad for the eyes. Well, it was, it was either that or the like wide open dark space with one central light in the back, kind of just shining out and forward. Yeah, I, what was it? What, what's that thing that J.J. Abrams always does where he puts the light? Oh, the right? lens flares. Lens flare. Yeah, that's a big thing too in that time period. You know, I cannot tell you what this movie's about. I can kind of give you the bare bones. Uh, Diane Ladd is a crazy scientist who finds a way to inject people with some sort of like dinosaur baby germ and they give birth to little raptors and t-rexes is that even close to being the plot yeah it, it felt like a dinosaur slash zombie flick because like these people were just getting infected and giving birth to these eggs which turn into these kind of rest dinosaur thingies throw in some of you know what was it invasion of the body snatcher too you never quite know who had it and uh, it was just, it was a mess. Uh, you, you weren't quite sure what was going on half the movie. There are some things I do like about the movie. Clint Howard, in anything, is at least going to be entertaining. It may not be good, but you know he's going to give it his all. He's horribly underrated. Yeah, I'll give you that. And the hero of the movie is entirely unqualified hero of the movie. It was kind of like Joe Schmo left field going yeah. around saving the day. And you're just like, ah. Not just, yeah, I wasn't feeling it. I even actually like that actor. I think his name is Raphael Sabarge or something like that yeah. i like him when he plays like the nerd type he was in my science project yeah, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, when he plays those kind of roles, when he plays the lead, and especially since he tries that cool and disconnected, I'm just like, nope, not buying it. Were you the only one that was available for this? I don't, I don't. And Diane Land, I don't know what she's doing in this. She's kind of a respected actress. And you're just watching this, this whole time going, is she really giving birth to a dinosaur baby? Just letting it burst out of her stomach? Right. <laughs> I, 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 what did they, they had to have paid her decent or something. Or maybe this is her only starring role that she ever had. But it's just so strange they could convince her to show up in this. Bonkers. Yeah, maybe she was really desperate. I have to assume she was really desperate because judging by the movie, if she even read the script at all, she probably would have passed. Yeah, I just... Oh, man. There's a whole environmental kind of subtext to it, so I kind of like that, too. Like, it wasn't just, a, oh, we're just going to throw dinosaur babies out there and eat people. That's going to be it. I'll give credit to a little bit of, like, trying to do some environmental stuff, but yeah. it doesn't completely line up. So you're like, wait, is this an art film or is this an exploitation film? You gotta, you can't, it's hard to ride the line. You have to be really, really talented to do something like that. What really got to me was the fact that they used the same, I want to say gag, but I guess tools repeatedly, like the teenagers in the car making out do what they do like two or three times they did the same thing i'm like uh i got it the first time guys yeah or of course the the bursting the bursting of the alien out of the stomach roger yeah. corman i swear to you roger corman used that i can count at least four movies right now offhand that he reused that effect over and over i don't know if it's intended as a joke in this one but it's obvious like uh, uh I, I, that's an alien gag gotcha you see but at least he had the decency to only do it like once per movie I'm, with the with the people in the car getting chased and like the teenagers making out in the vehicle they did it like two or three times in this movie alone yeah and i was like usually one's all it takes it's extremely bare budget i swear i'm not kidding i've seen photos of the special effects guy john carr carl butcher i don't know how to say his name right but you can literally see him those are hand puppets a lot of those raptors are just tiny little puppets oh, yeah. and it's oh, like yeah. yeah well okay i guess you had the budget about half a million dollars on special effects you can't make a proper dinosaur movie with that kind of money so it's kind of uh really pushing uh quality i would say it takes the movie from slightly suspenseful and scary to just flat out hilarious watching some of the uh the evisceration scenes where you just see these really like flexible rubber hand puppet <laughs> you can um, all see the you don't see the fingers it, in the move of the head yeah and, and it's just smearing across their stomach you know it's like oh wow i mean like there's effects and then there's whatever this is going on <laughs> they're just like putting ground meat on their stomach and just kind of wiping it around Here's the weird part about Carnosaur is that it got nominated for like one of those science fiction awards, like one of the top ones. And uh, Roger Ebert gave it a positive review, which Gene Siskel never stopped teasing him about. <laughs> like I would watch, I used to watch that all the time and they'd have the year end awards, like years worst and years best. And there was one year where they got into it. Like the show just stops like five minutes while they argue over Carnosaur. And I thought, I was like, you guys are going to end your relationship over this movie. This is ridiculous. I was trying to, I was trying to think, oh yeah, $1.7 million at the box office. So enough people got duped. I remember seeing the ads. No, I was wrong. The budget on this was $850,000. Oh jeez. I, that's i thought i was being like oh man 1.4 that's that's a wow <laughs> so there is two sequels to this actually the second one is not bad even though it completely rips off aliens it's actually pretty entertaining i've never seen the third one and then there was two spinoffs raptor and the eden formula where they basically just used the the footage the same footage so roger corman knows how to stretch a dollar apparently dude this is based on a novel this is based on a book all right well i'm gonna tell you right now if you make me watch the sequels i will punch you in the throat personally yeah you will you won't oh i will Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a little bit rough to get through, but at least the stupidity and the gore kind of get you through it. Now, our second movie. Oh, God. I need an aspirin. Hold on a second. Oh, 
Uh, all right, Theodore Rex. What the ah! f is going on in this movie? So I personally believe that after the well-beloved family TV show Dinosaur went off the air, they took all of those costumes and brought it over Theodore Rex. It has to be. They almost look like the same exact. It is Jim Henson, right? Those are the special I, effects wizards behind this. Wizards. I, I don't know. I just know that uh, Whoopi Goldberg's in there and dinosaurs and I, honestly, uh, it's a clear. It's it's one of those ones where I want to say it's a. Uh, a black movie about segregation that's not a black movie about segregation they're using using dinosaurs and humans as a black (sighs) and white Okay, so the movie instantly loses me a long time ago, somewhere in the future. And I, I was like, wait, hold on. Rewind, what? It kind of makes sense if you break it down to the fact that, you know, the dinosaurs were brought back to our future. But uh, that kind of sends you a sign that the guy who wrote and directed this has no idea what he's doing. Just like, I have this concept, that's it. I have a two-page outline that got greenlit by uh, New Line Cinema because they saw the word dinosaur, future, and Whoopi Goldberg. And they're like, green light this sucker. And that's all he had. He had no script. I guarantee you. He had no script at the time this got greenlit. He wrote it afterwards, after he already got the funding, and then when he was on set, they're like, what is this? And like, too late! <laughs> it just feel like it's a string of gags over and over again, where they just kind of, you know, just shoehorned in a plot. Yeah, the one uh, the one thing that surprises me is I'm looking up this on Wikipedia, and all the, all these movies have the director. Even like low-name directors, they'll, you can click on their name as some, some, something about them. There is nothing about this guy, John. Jonathan Boutel. I actually think maybe he was a, a fake person, like someone just made up a, a pseudonym and just like, uh, I'm a director, yes! So like, I'm wondering, you know, if they brought in Whoopi because they just used so much of other people's stuff, because I could have sworn that the backdrop was basically from Mario Brothers, and that, you know, the, the costumes were all from dinosaurs. Like, even some of the smaller puppets, I could have sworn. Like, I remember seeing you in dinosaurs, I think. Yeah, I well, I think there actually is a piece where I swear to you it's from Demolition Man. I think that's yeah. what they did, they just reused sets. I mean, this cost $33 million, and I'll say that's actually a decent amount of money for a movie in 1996. But with all the stuff they have going on, you can see they borrowed bits and pieces. In fact, I tell you what, there is a scene where they're on the rooftop in the future. I actually think they actually reused uh, the set piece maybe from The Crow. I mean, this is a hodgepodge movie. This is just whatever they could gather up. Yeah, I think some of the stands that were down there were from Blade Runner almost. Yeah, they paid Whoopi Goldberg a huge chunk of this budget. So yeah, they had to have just been like, what can we rent? We don't have to build anything, just rent. Here it is. It says here on... Oh, I have to say this also. Wikipedia, I tried to look up what this movie is about. The description of this movie is three sentences. Uh, How is this possible when Carnosaur is like six paragraphs? Three sentences? That doesn't even describe a commercial. (laughs) It's like the guy who put the entry and just goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I got nothing. It literally says this section requires expansion. That's The the person who took the effort to write this article knew nothing about the movie. No one else is there to help Uh, it says, this is the plot, what I have. In an alternate futuristic society where humans and dinosaurs coexist. Why? A uh, tough female police detective, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, is paired with the T-Rex to find the killer of dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals, leading them to a ruthless billionaire bent on killing off mankind by creating a new Ice Age. Um, I would love to tell you why he was trying to create a new Ice Age, but uh, it's Armin Mueller-Stahl, who I'm told is a great actor, who I seem to enjoy when he's on screen. I have never understood a word he is ever said in anything. (laughs) 
Do you? It's just, you know, the way he talks is like, oh, he's kind of cute when he talks. He's like a cool grandpa. What do you say? I have no idea. Yeah, it's definitely a situation where you pick up like one out of every other five words and have to kind of piece together the plot using that, which they went pretty well with it because his character was kind of like that loving grandpa that wanted to provide a utopian society that wasn't filled with, you know, just terrible human beings that did evil things or whatever. Yeah, I just, it's one of those movies where I, I stopped this four times. Um, I could not get through it. I got about a half hour in going, I don't know what this movie's about. Should I restart it? So I restarted it. And then I got about 45 minutes to do it. And I was like, I, I got, I got, I'm going to go do something else. I got to walk away from this for a little bit. And you know it's a bad sign when you're just like, what else on my Facebook kind of look up? Mm, movie's still now, going. Listen, <sighs> now, listeners, keep in mind, we're saying this. And we actually watched a thorough sitting of uh, Kazam and Steel. <sighs> so remember that when we're telling you, neither one of us could sit through this movie in one sitting without going crazy. Steel is a masterpiece. Mario Brothers is, uh, I would consider, I can actually sit through Mario Brothers even though I can't make sense of it. It is infinitely better movie than this. I, I, oh my god, I don't know what to say. You know, Whoopi Goldberg tried to back out of this. She read the script and she goes, I quit. And then they sued her. They sued her for $20 million for quitting. And, uh, she settled. Uh, she was signed on for $5 million when she just, all, I think all she did was sign to that same outline that New Line agreed to. And, uh, uh, they go, okay, we'll give you two million more. Shut your mouth. Show up on set. And she's like, well, I could get sued or I could show up in this. Uh, $7 million? Eh, why not? That's a lot of money. You give me $7 million, you can have a dinosaur farting on me the entire movie. I don't care. In her defense, she doesn't really have a great movie history anyway. So really, what worse could it have done for her? Yeah, I think she probably signed on to this. It says she signed on to this right after uh, Sister Act. So oh. yeah, that's... So this probably paid for Sister Act too, back in the heaven. Probably. Um, <laughs> which is that? Which is actually a decent movie. I, I've seen that. I, honestly, like I, I like the two sister acts. Yeah. I can't tell you that they're a good movie, but I can tell you absolutely they're both fun. A lot of fun. There's a there's a part in this movie where they try to convince you that Whoopi Goldberg is bio enhanced, that she can do more than the normal human being. I go, you just made that up. You made that yeah. up on the spot yeah. because flat out, like they they totally threw that in there just so they could have a scene where Theodore would run off by himself and Whoopi Goldberg was basically shut down as if she were a cyborg. Yeah. Which it, made no sense. At all. Well, it's also, I don't understand why she's playing the straight man. The dinosaur is the funny one, supposedly funny. I think all he does is he's awkward and he farts a lot. Dude, he farts a lot. This guy needs medical attention. <laughs> And uh, basically, she's a straight man. She tried to do two action movies back in the 80s. Do you remember Fatal Beauty and uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash? I think I saw Jumpin' Jack Flash, but not Fatal Beauty. Yeah, those are more like, I mean, they have a slight comedic edge, but they're more dramatic. Especially Fatal Beauty is really dark. Uh, so there's a brief moment where she tried to be an action star. She is so obviously not athletic. And she's in this, like, X-Men leather rubber suit or whatever with guns. And they're trying to show, she's trying to be basically like uh, the Stallone of this movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's just, it doesn't work at no point. You're going, yeah, I, I'm convinced. Uh, no, no, shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> just well, give her some funny lines. I don't understand what happened. To be fair, in her defense and in a single defense of this movie, she actually did look pretty fit in the movie. She looked like she could have been an officer, so I'm going to give her that. Okay, uh, it's just surprising because you spend so many years seeing her do one type of thing, and you're just like, well, um, okay. 
Uh, one thing I thought was funny is the fact that this is notorious for being the most expensive movie to ever go straight to video. Uh, at the time, there is uh, Stallone put out a movie that cost about twenty million more than went straight to video. But at the time, this was the biggest movie to ever go straight to video, and uh, it's the only movie to ever to go direct to video that won a Razzie. Really? Yeah. Everything else, I think the rules changed that you had to go theatrical before you get nominated. But this is the one time they're like, you know what? We're breaking all the rules. We don't care. This movie is that bad. <laughs> Man, it was just a really rough year for her. I think she got nominated for three movies in one year for the Razzie. That wow. had to hurt. But yeah, this one is definitely the most painful. This is the nail in the coffin of her career. Uh, after this, she was just doing supporting roles. I don't know what to say about this movie. I mean, it's just, it's such a mess. There's barely a plot line. It goes all over the place. Uh, one of my favorite character actors, Stephen McCaddy, he plays the villain, Edge. I love that actor, uh, but I have no idea what his point was in the movie. I really don't. He just looks sinister, and that's about it. Um, I'll have to say that if you have a bunch of younger kids that don't really need consistency and just want to see like really cool, fun things, might be a movie for them. Just be aware that, as a parent, you might gouge your eyes out in the middle of it. Right. Uh, I think the creepy dinosaur head. You, you've seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, right? The one where they go back yeah. in time? Yeah. Do you remember when they changed the Ninja Turtle head so that it kind of had like a robotic jitteriness to it? Like, yeah. It's the same head. It's the same kind of technology. So when Theodore Rex is talking... He kind of looks like his lips are having a stroke. It's like, <laughs> like he's not talking smoothly like the way the first Ninja Turtles were. It's like this weird thing where uh, it's still, uh, it's like an old car where you turn it off, but it's still running a little bit. That's how his mouth moves. And it makes me very uncomfortable. It actually kind of gives me an anxiety attack watching his mouth move. See, like, like, now that you mentioned it, that makes a lot more sense, especially in the sequences that involve the Triceratops looking guy hitting on uh, Whoopi Goldberg, which made no sense whatsoever at all. But, uh, he apparently was a reoccurring character because he appeared in the middle at the end of the movie. But, yeah. Like, yeah, he's just he's just having like an epileptic seizure and you're just wondering exactly <laughs> what is wrong here. <laughs> so, we don't have time to reshoot it. Just go, go, go. Yeah, just just, just, just go. Just, just just have him shaking and cringing. All right, go. We're good. Since this is completely audio, um, I will say this. I've spent most of this part of the episode with my hands in the air. Every time I go to say something, I'm just like, ah, I don't know what to say. This is nuts. Success, I can't believe someone put this on film. Oh, man. This is probably the roughest movie. I mean, we're only, what, 10 episodes, 12 episodes into this? This is the most painful movie we've watched so far. It's not even good bad. It's just bad bad. We need to go watch... Oh, let's go. I'm going to go watch Jurassic World just to cleanse the palate. My brain needs, <laughs> needs a scrubbing. Anything else you want to say about this horrible double feature? Um, honestly, uh, like I said before, I, we've had some painful movies to go through and sit through but there's always been something that we can kind of focus on and enjoy i mean even carnosaur you know we could enjoy how bad it was at points but theodore rex like holy crap I, I i never believed that there could be a movie so bad on all aspects that there was just nothing to look forward to at all oh. like, you don't even look forward to bad scenes because they just hurt too bad i this makes me feel like uh if i was going back to high school and the first person i see is the bully and i'm like oh i can't ever do this again i can't even look at this school i have to go right now that's how i if i ever see theodore rex advertise anywhere if it pops up on my next netflix uh rotation of movies available we suggest i will find netflix and i will end netflix <laughs> <laughs> you know, happen, we're gonna have like a best of episodes and our listeners are gonna be like yeah you should totally watch theodore rex again oh god no what what i'll just go you know what we'll just play this episode again we'll close our ears because the blood is pouring out right now that's that's it that's all i can take i need to get some pepto-bismol i'm gonna be sick all right everybody that's it for us here at trash cinema find us on facebook under our main page it's retro rock entertainment you can find trash cinema and all of our podcasts there and uh this is michael puking off just i can't even sign off i'm just gonna go throw up now <laughs>
Audio editing and post production by Let's Go Noise. <laughs> <laughs>